Hell yeah. You want to just kick it off kind of kind of start off with you know what what made you push you to join in the military and then kind of go through your experience that you had during that and then you know where you're at now and and uh you know how you, how you get through your day to day so sure um that's like 20 something years ago so that's a long time um so i enlisted 13 days i think or maybe a couple like maybe 11 days i don't know i'm not good at math i went to word school uh, before 9-11, um, uh, I know the date was August 28th of 2001, um, so whatever the math is on that. Uh, my brother had joined the Navy before me. He's my younger brother. He's a Navy corpsman, um, and I was working um, at a church as, like, their janitor, and I just wanted to do something different, and so I uh, I signed up. Originally, I was everybody always says, oh, I was going to join, man. Like, I was, uh, my first choice actually was the Marine Corps. I went into the Marine Recruiter's office. And uh, I was like, hey, I want to be a rifleman. I mean, I didn't know what the term was then, right? And uh, the guy I went to was a box kicker. Uh, And uh, he's like, well, you know, there's other jobs outside of the infantry. I'm like, yeah, cool. But that's like not what everybody goes home and tells their spouse that they do. And if there's listeners that are not grunts, like, hey, pogues need love too. I was a pogue. Like, I get it, right? Like, but like, you know, I was a dumb civilian then, so I didn't know. Um, And uh, the recruiter at the front desk, the junior guy, he actually was a grunt. And I didn't talk to him. I talked to the, the supply staff sergeant. And uh, my wife at the time did not like that infantry marine. He was loud. He was aggressive. He was cursing up and down. And she's like, I do not want you to be a part of that. And they didn't have any boat spaces. This was pre-war. So they were like, hey, we don't, of course, this is me knowing what a boat space is. Like, we don't have any jobs in the infantry. I was like, well, what is it the Marine Corps does then? Like, I, For me, like an outsider, I just thought that's what Marines were. And he's like, oh, we have all kinds of jobs. I'm like, yeah, I don't really want to do any of those jobs. Let me go talk to the Navy. My brother's a Navy corpsman. Let me see what I can do to go work with the Marines. And I'll be right back. I went to the Navy recruiter. And, uh, well, actually, I went to the Air Force recruiter first after the Marine Corps recruiter because they were, like, right next door. And uh, he, the Air Force recruiter was like, uh, 
what can I do for you? I'm like, oh, yeah. So the Air Force recruiter didn't want me because they were like, well, if you went in the, on the Marine side, like, you just don't want to do that. Uh, we don't, we don't, we're just, you're not our speed. I was like, all right, cool, thanks. Um, and then, so I went to the Navy recruiter. They offered me, like, all the electronics jobs. I'm like, no, nah, man, I just want to go with be with the Marines. Like, my brother is a Navy corpsman. Um, I want to, I want to fight. He's like, well, there's not really a war. There's really isn't anything to fight, but, like, there's this job called uh, RP, which is Religious Program Specialist. You go to SOI. Um, they teach you all the basic Marine fighting skills, and then you just serve in a Marine battalion. I'm like, yeah, I can do that. I'll do that. And so I signed my contract. I went and did that. The Marine Corps called me back, and they're like, well, hey, are you still interested in joining? I'm like, no, I got a job with the Navy. Since you can't get me into the infantry, this will guarantee me probably a spot with the infantry. I mean, little did I know. Um, and go from there. So 9-11 hits. My son is a corporal right now. He's a Lima 3-5. Um, he's about to EAS later this year. My son was a year and change when I walked out of the shower to watch the plane hit the second tower. I didn't mean to rhyme like that, but it is what it is. Um, and so I called my recruiter that day and was like, hey, uh, can I get out of my contract? I was, like, the, I was like, the Navy was my second choice. I wanted to be a Marine first. I was I'm pretty sure they're going to have plenty of infantry spaces. Um, can I can I go? And my my re, my recruiter laughed. He's like, nah, man. He's like, if you're trying to get out of your contract to go to war, we're going to hold on to you because all day long I've been getting dudes trying to get out. And he's like, I've just been trying to get dudes to get out of their contract because they don't go to war. He's like, we're going to hang on to you. So um, they hang on to my contract. I go to Navy boot camp. I ship in October. Uh, I've never been as cold as I was in Great Lakes, Illinois. It was fucking freezing there. Um, never been to the Midwest. Uh, I got there October 23rd, and so it was like full fall was underway. And, you know, I'm born and raised in Southern California, so like we don't have fall the way like Midwest and the Mid Atlantic has fall. And I was like, oh man, it's like super pretty, you know, in between getting my ass chewed as a recruit and uh, trying to not look, but also like look at all the fall colors. And then one day, like we woke up, and uh, I don't know if it's pretty similar in the Marine Corps, but in the Navy boot camp, like they wake up with the plan of the day and they tell you what your uniform is. And they were like, the uniform of the day is, and they basically listed everything in our sea bag, like socks, big socks, underwear, long johns, t-shirt, long john shirt, utility shirt, sweater, towel. I was like, what the heck? And then like, we were on snow watch because it was snowing. That was crazy. Um, so I, I graduated boot camp in December. Um, I went to my follow-on school, which is Meridian, Mississippi um which is where also the marine aviation unit trains for their uh, aviation like clerks or whatever so we trained a little bit with marines um i remember being embarrassed because like we were doing like sun gods and like aerobics repeats like sun gods which aren't easy but like we were doing like aerobics for pt with the navy and like these marines would be like running in formation you know they're like young boot air uh, air wingers so they're like motivated as fuck and, like, and you're like man that's so cool like you know you start regretting your life choices um and so, right, right around halfway through our A school, it's time to select orders. And uh, our instructor was like, hey, there's like eight sets of orders or whatever they were. The first Marine Division out in California. You don't have to take these, but, you know, we have to ask if you want them for volunteers. And I was like, yeah, me right here. I want this guy. Um, and, like, my buddy Garrett went. Uh, my uh, Aaron Fulmer went. Uh, let's see. Who else? Aaron Quaid. Uh, Adam Quaid took orders to, to Mardiv. Um, my buddy Mac Elliott, he, like a bunch of us all took like orders to the Marine side and like the Navy folks, like you don't have to take those. We're like, yeah, okay, cool. So anyway, uh, give me the orders. So I volunteered 
to go to first Marine Division. My buddy uh, Rob Playstead was one of those guys. He's dead. He died of brain cancer, probably from exposure. I mean, mm-hmm. it could. Um, uh, Eddie Garrett's still on active duty, and I think Aaron Fulmer's a youth pastor somewhere, like maybe back in Vegas. But anyway, so we all go out there, and uh, before that, we go to uh, we go to FMSS down here at Camp Lejeune. And I was like, man, I never want to fucking come back to North Carolina again. So here I am in Wilmington. And now here I am in Wilmington, yeah. North Carolina. Um, it's a nice so, day. Yeah, it's a beautiful day today, yeah. man. I got a, I got a pint of Guinness. I got a, a smoke. Life's good. Um, so, like, and then I just went to school, like, learned the Marine Corps stuff, learned to wear camis, and I never looked back. I think the last time I wore a Navy, like, a Navy uti- uh, uniform, utility uniform after I got out, or after I was at FMSS was like, I wore it for like a day and a half when I got sent on limited duty, when I got back from Iraq down to 32nd street. And then like when I got, went to the Naval Academy um, and I ran the religious ministry programs there as an RP one. So I went and I'm kind of an outlier. I mean, I was already susceptible to the coming to the dark side because I'd already wanted, I'd already decided that being with the, on the green side was what I wanted to do. Um, and so I just went all in. I went Marine regs and had a blast. Uh, my first unit was first combat engineers. That's who I went to Iraq with. Um, and then I went to 2-4, uh, worked at the School of Infantry, worked at Marine side, uh, came back to 1st Marine Division, um, and then went to 2-4, and then went to headquarters, because by then I was uh, a first class. So I was at division headquarters. That was kind of cool. Went to the Naval Academy, and then I got out in a nutshell. Yeah, so, um, pardon me for kind of maybe not tracking on the timeline. So when exactly September 11th, were you, had you already joined? I know you said you were going to the recruiter bef- before this. Yeah. And... So I went to MEPS. I was a uh, delayed entry, right? So I, uh, so I signed my contract August 28, 2000, um, 2001. So um, you were, remember... were you at boot camp when, when September 11th or? No, I was still a civilian. I didn't okay. get to October 23rd. And gotcha. I remember that night clearly because, like, I got out of the bus. Uh, well, not the bus, the Gubby. And uh, it was a van at the time. And my son, who was in my wife at the time's arms, he was a little toddler still. And she was, like, starting to cry. And I was like, what are you crying about? She's like, well, this is just a big decision. I'm like, nah, man, don't worry about it. I was like, this is peacetime. Um, that's why I didn't go, go in the Marine Corps. I was like, you know, with my luck, of course, we'll get into a worldwide conflict or something. And I thought I was being funny. Like, I laughed. I laughed at myself. <laughs> and she was like, that's not funny. You shouldn't say that. And I was like, yeah, it's fine. It's whatever. And then I woke up on 9-11. I woke up to go to work and saw the towers hit. And my son was sitting in his crib playing. Um, and then I, that's when I tried to get out of my contract to go to Marine Boot Camp. And they're like, yeah, no. So I shipped October 23rd. So I was in boot camp from October to December of 2001. Um, and it was really weird, too, because in boot camp, like, they kept talking about the group that had come before me that was legitimately in boot camp the day that happened. Um, my wife was on Guam. My wife's uh, an RP also. She was at Tumar Dave. She calls me a boot. She joined, like, two years before I did. Um, she was she joined in, like, 99, I think. And so she was, yeah, she was on Guam, I think. Yeah, I think she was on Guam. I don't really remember um, for her. And then my brother was at the Naval Hospital Camp Pendleton already at the time. Um, so yeah. I joined actually before all three of those people. Um, so that's the timeline. Yeah. And then yeah, so, I got, no, so I was just going to say is, I mean, so when you got to your, with the combat engineers, you had already, I mean, had you gotten word or did you have any idea of what, what was in front of you as far as deployment schedule or anything like that? You no clue. No, 
No, no clue. Like we, so I got to the fleet in May of 2002. Um, and I just, I remember checking in my blues with my ketchup stain and, uh, I don't even, I mean, I must've probably rated a service medal too. Like maybe I had two ribbons. I don't know. Um, and then just saying, Hey, you've got orders to fifth Marines, the first combat engineers. Good luck, man. Have a good time. And I didn't know anything about it except that I was going up to fifth Marines. Um, and that was headquarters there. And that was where, and so like, I remember, um, just showing up in camis the very next day to to camp san mateo and just being like wow all right here we are it was like yes like it's so funny because like i'm trying to remember what i thought about it like coming like as a boot like wide-eyed not ever seeing anything like that camp before but it's hard to because like i've already seen it and been it and lived it where like i accepted it. it's home it's wonderful and like i mean i go i've gone back like like six or seven times since i've been out just within the last few years um I don't know, man. It, it was crazy. Like my office was in this shitty little shack. Like the F-15s are uh, attacking Wilmington right now. Um, like so, like we had a battalion CP, and it like this is the old days where like you had a, only a staff NCO ladder well. Like only staff NCOs can go up the one on whatever side, and everybody else can only go up the other one. But like H&S Company, which is where I belong and where I checked into. I didn't even have, like, it was just this little ramshackle hut with, like, three offices, a hallway, and a battalion classroom. That's where the sappers were, um, who I ended up getting pretty close friends with a lot of those guys. Um, they were super cool dudes. They all deployed with, like, the reconnaissance guys. Um, and they, so, like, they were super laid back. Um, the combat engineers were super cool because you had dudes that came from the wing. You had dudes that were, like, coming off the drill field rotations. And so, like, they were all still super motivated. And then you guys had the guys... Like, I don't know how you, I mean, I kind of know how you guys do it on the East Coast, but like for us on the West Coast, like we legitimately had a platoon always assigned to an infantry reg regiment or a company assigned to an infantry regiment. So like our dudes were always chopped out to the, to the grunt, like always. Like they were engineers, but like they were never home. They were always with some grunt company or platoon or whatever out in the dirt doing whatever. Um, and so they were just always chopped out, like always, 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 always gone. Um, so that, yeah, that's how that worked. Like I just, and then checked in and then like the very next day was like company PT and away I went. We ran to the hand, the hand of hope up uh, past Christian Nico's gate and back. And it was like three miles and I didn't fall out. I was actually one of the first few, I think maybe that had made it back. And so the Marines were like, oh, all right, well this squid can keep up. So let's see how this goes. Um, and that's the way it went. Yeah. So how long, so, so how long were you there, you know, before you guys got realized you know, what your deployment was going to be. And you want to kind of go into that, if you don't mind? Uh, I was there for about six or seven months, I think. So I got there like early May, I think. I mean, I don't have my D214 in front of me. Um, but like, so I got there mid-May, probably right around, I want to say the fall of that year, uh, probably November, December, maybe even earlier than that, we started hearing rumblings. Like we just had like my buddy, AJ Salim, and my buddy Bear, they had just come back off that float that pushed into Afghanistan with then Brigadier General Mattis. Um, and so those were like my seniors, those dudes that had rolled up into Afghanistan with like fuck all nothing, right? Um, and so they were like, hey, this is coming down. You guys need to know how to get ready. Like back then, um, and so like we were always getting classes. I think that this is getting to your question, Tyler, is like we were always getting classes from these senior dudes, like how the Marine Corps had changed the way we were. Because back in those days, you had that zippy LBV that 
like was really shitty in like Woodland Green. Um, yeah. I know it's all it's the all like yeah. yeah, right. And so like yeah. uh, they were like, yeah, we don't do that shit anymore. Like you put all that shit on your flack. You put your magazines like this. You put your IFAC here. You put your canteen here. Um, and like this is the standard load. Everybody does it this way. Nobody uses their juice gear anymore. It's all on the flack because if you get hit, like nobody has time to go fucking sort through that shit. And so like the training had gone from notional to like when I was in school, uh, MOS school. So like this is what it would be like in a combat zone. The dudes that were seriously teaching, like this is what you need to fucking know. This is how you apply a tourniquet. This is why you need to go to combat agent. Um, this is how you have to be able to do this. And this is what's gonna happen. This is how you move. Like then we started training. So yeah, I guess we actually probably knew summer because i remember being in the summer and we were which was hilarious because it was hns company right and i get it like we're not hns company is not they don't do this every day so like they had us out there doing fire team rushes and squad size movements and platoon size elements um setting up near and far ambushes l-shaped ambushes triage like they had us out in the field all the time it was fucking great i loved it i had a blast yeah, so you got um, you you had a good bit of a like a workout before you actually deployed. You kind of yeah. weren't just thrown into the shit without, you know. No, um, like you know, and a lot of guys coming out now had like really bad experiences, and I feel bad for them because I had a really positive experience. Like I had a lot of good senior leaders. I got to see the pre nine eleven Marine Corps and that kind of fellowship and those core skills, and then the post nine eleven Marine Corps, and so like. I had this, I was in this really cool place at this time. And so, yeah, we did get the work up. The guys that had just come off that Afghanistan pump were like, no, that's like, we'd have the platoon leaders or whatever who would only study to, on the books. And they'd be like, yeah, okay, sir. Hey, that's really cool. But like, this is actually how we do this. This is right. Of course, we had our NBC guy, Byron Yoshida, who ended up, he was a sergeant then when I knew him. He ended up retiring as like a chief warrant officer or something. Um, I still talk to him every once in a while. He was one, like every other NBC guy, every chance he could get, he'd pop a CH tube and throw it because we knew even then we were going to go into a dirty environment. So like we'd be on a company run and like CS gas or like, man, come on. Or we'd go out to the field and like hike into our, our objective and like gas, gas, gas. We had to drop everything we were doing and, and get into mop gear and put on our um, and move to contact and move to the, the objective in mop gear gas masks and everything so like we were already training to be in a dirty environment so yeah we had a little bit of a workup oh yeah man that was cool that yeah was it time. sounds like it sounds like you enjoyed it i mean just from the, from the way you're you're talking and describing things i mean they stuck with you pretty good so yeah i really did like i like i said man i had a really positive experience like that was like one of my first field ops was a CPX, right? So all the headquarters guys are lugging all our feet out there. The NBC guys are lobbing CS stuff at us and we're sitting in the defense and uh, my buddy Stover, he was my, um, he was the, we were in uh, buddy pairs in fighting holes, which we had to dig by the numbers. And uh, like, it was freezing cold. Like the worst thing about Camp Pendleton though, was like all the training areas and Jose, Jose, you know, because you were there at SOI. Tyler, did you go to SOI West? I was, I was East Coast. I was okay. Yeah. So like, like real you know, I feel bad for the East Coast guys. Yeah, because you guys are like out in the fucking nowhere. Like it's 29 Palms, guys. I don't know what it's like there, but like at Mateo, like you can see base housing. So like a lot of my NCOs were sitting there. Like it had been like 85 degrees that night, and so like we had gotten in mop gear and pushed to our our CP our objective area and set up everything so like we were soaked in sweat and it had dropped to like 
38 degrees that night. So we're sitting there freezing to death and soaking wet socks because that mop gear like soaks you down, man. Like um, it's not even cool. And like we could just watch all the lights like that. And I just remember like, man, this sucks. But like I also had my friends who were there in the company that I just made. And uh, yeah, it was a good time. It was a really, I don't know, it, it sucked. Don't get me wrong. Like if I, you had to ask me right now to like go hike and get sweaty and then like sit in 38 degree weather all night, I'd be like, nah, nah, I'm good, man. No. And, and that's, what's kind of funny too. Cause like at the time you're like, damn, this sucks. But with me too, is like those memories are some of my fondest, like just the shitty training ops. And you're just like, that's what, that's what it's really about. You know, not just the deployment shit or anything. It's, those funny, like fun times and that were hell at the time, but it's just, you know, those, yeah. were, those ones are the good ones to look back on, I think. Yeah. And then we did a bunch of training too with like, it wasn't even training. It was like dress rehearsal. It was like, Hey, go get, get. this was back in the days when you had to pack your mount out boxes and, and all your gear and we'd lay it all out on the concrete and pack it all back up and then lay it all back out and pack it all back up and put it on a pallet and see how much, how much it would weigh and how long it would get. And so we did this so many times when they're like, Hey, get all your stuff to go. We were like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then they were like, no, really? Like we're going this time, go pack your shit, get your boxes, get everything light up, go do your will. Like I was, I joined old, right? Like I was 25 when I joined, I had been married for a few years. I had a child. Um, but that's a sobering experience when your staff and CEO who jokes with you all the time or chews your ass, depending on what kind of mood he's in, says, hey, you need to go over to fucking the regimental classroom and we're doing wills. And like they say, OK, like you need to list out all of your possessions and what happens if you get killed? What's going to happen to your kid? What's going to what are you giving to your like? That's a sobering experience. And so it's really crazy to think about that. Like and I my son did the same thing. I'm pretty sure when he went on his on his uh, cruise, like he, he did a mute. Like it's sobering. It's really sobering. I mean, I I probably knew I was gonna be a writer at some point because I was making all these mental notes and I knew it meant something. I didn't know what it meant at the time, but I remember looking around at all my friends who were in the same pay grade as I was. Um, first as a, a, a RPSN and the Lances, and then when I made RP3, which is an, an NCO, and then all my corporal buddies. Like we all just like the laughter. Like the laughter changed from like hearty laughter to ha ha ha. That's so funny to. <laughs> oh shit <laughs> like <laughs> this is not as funny as it once was yeah so when they so, I, so how long you know after they dropped that on you was it before you actually you guys actually left uh we left early because the combat engineers right so we left in january of 2003 in fact i was just talking oh, to my buddy shouse um so my this was really funny. This is how the universe works, right? So my buddy, William Shouse was a sergeant in the S4. He taught me how to shoot. Um, and he now lives in Wilmington. Five minutes. He actually lives closer to Jose than he does to me. Um, and uh, it's just kind of crazy. Like, um, wait, I don't remember what your question was. No, I was just saying like how, you know, you got word that you were deploying and then like. Oh, yeah. That's right. So we, him and I were talking about it. He's like, well, we left in February, right? I'm like, no, man, we left in like mid-January because I either, I can't remember if I missed my wedding anniversary or like I got it and I was thankful that I'd got it. And we left like the very next day or pretty close. Oh, like they, nice. and it's one of these things. And I wrote a piece about called hearsay where I talk about it, where it's like, there's, they say like, you're going, you're going, you're going. And you're like, yeah, okay. And like the first time they tell you you're going, right. They're like, you get your shit. And you're like, nah, this is just training. All right. Everybody go back. Like, this is back in the days, like when we still had like phone trees and what happened was like, and I remember this, um, we did some dry runs where 
uh, an NCO was responsible for so many numbers and a staff NCO like would just pass like the backbone would ring and the battalion CEO would get the call and then he would pass it down and it would come all the way down to us and we had to be on the grinder. And then I remember we did this like for real, for real, like twice. And then finally they were like, all right, our window was, we're still in our window. Apparently they didn't have flights for us. So everybody go home. We're probably not going to leave for like five or six more days. Um, so go home, you know, hug your kids, take your wife out for dinner or whatever. Um, and so I did like, and I wrote that in that piece called hearsay. And um, thinking about that, and then all of a sudden, like, I go to bed that night, like, my sea bag's still packed, all my gear's still sitting there. I got pictures of my son trying on my flak and my Kevlar and taking pictures, being in my sea bag. Um, not here they come again on a gun run. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, then going to bed that night, and I remember, like, even though we weren't supposed to leave for a couple of days, like, somehow I think I knew, I intuited that, like, this was it. And uh, just not being able to eat, my food not tasting like anything. My wife and I at the time um, getting in a little bit of an argument and then going to bed and then getting a phone call like zero dark 30. Like, hey, you need to be on the grinder like right now. We're fucking leaving tonight and going to the armory, getting my rifle, getting my bullet. Like, and even then it was like, all right, cool, fine, whatever. And then it was when they handed me my bullets, my rounds. And I'm like, oh, shit. They really want me to put these pointy rounds into that dude over there. And then, like, you push those thoughts aside because, like, you're with your buddies and you don't want to look, like, weak and shit. And so, like, we're all just laughing and joking. Um, and so, like, I, we loaded our magazines. Um, and then, of course, they took our magazines. I don't know. It's really weird how they did that. We had, like, two dudes, the Guardian Angel Principal. One of them was my buddy Bear. And then they, they put us on buses. Um, one of the things I remember, too, is, like, so I got my bayonet, that rusty piece of shit. <laughs> and I got a, I got a sidearm and a rifle and all my bullets for both. And my son at the time was like, cool, you got weapons. Let me see. And like his eyes got all big and he got super excited and he rushed towards, the, towards all of our weapons. And Shouse was happened to be like standing right next to me. And we were both like, ah, no, like stay away. This is not for you. This is for us. Like, you know, like don't worry about it. Little did I know, like 20 years later, he'd be going to the same area, sitting off the coast right. of the Iran, waiting to see some shit. Um, and hoping to, he was hoping to go to Syria, but. Like, so, yeah, dude. And then we just flew to uh, Germany. Germany's really cold in January. Like, really cold. Like, really, really cold. Um, and gray. It was ugly. And then we flew into Kuwait. And I don't know, like, I don't know, like, I don't know if the Marine Corps did it on purpose, but, like, it was dark when we flew in. And then they put us on buses. They were playing, like, Iraq or Arabic house music on these buses. <laughs> they had the shades drawn so you couldn't see out or in. Uh, at this point, we all had rounds, like, and then we went out to the middle of no fuck all nowhere and just like, all right, here's Kuwait, Iraq's over there, hopefully. And General Mattis was like, all right, well, if negotiations break down, we're headed into the Fertile Crescent. If they don't, we'll all go home. Yeah. So at yeah. So at that point, I mean, you guys really didn't even have a timeline or know if you were going to push or not. So yeah. that's that's got to be kind of fucking weird just sitting there, you know. Not no like especially fucking Kuwait because that place sucks bad. But yeah, but yeah, yeah, we didn't even get any of the cool stuff at Kuwait. Like I remember, and it's so funny. Like these are the things that I remember and that I really want to write about. Like everybody's seen a movie, they all know what a gunfight looks like on on paper, right, or on film. But like there's this one time we had to go get our gear from Doha, which is the army base there, and uh, we had a staff sergeant in Motor T called Staff Sergeant Wood. 
and these army cats, and we always make fun of them, right? Because we're jealous that the Marines doesn't the Marines didn't get shit. Like we were, we were the very, we were very much the make do with less guys. Like here we are in the middle of nowhere, and uh, like we see these army cats like with ice cream. And I think Caressel was there and some other guys were there. And, like, we're looking at these dudes and, like, their camis are clean. Like, they've been showered. Like, we didn't even, we didn't have shit. Bro, we had, like, nothing. Like, we were living like savages out in the wild. Like, no yeah. showers, no nothing at this point. Just our fly tents um, and a perimeter, a berm perimeter that we had set up and established. I mean, what became LSA Matilda, we built. Like, I built that chapel there, the first iteration. Um, like, it's nuts, dude. Like, if you watch Generation Kill, like, and it's all focused on the reconnaissance marines, right? Well, those dudes lived across the road and two tents down from me. Like, I used to watch mm-hmm. those dudes, like, capture those big-ass lizards and teach them how to smoke and fight scorpions. Um, we heard about when that, that corporal person's, like, his, uh, his coffee maker exploded. Like, we all got our asses chewed for that. When one of the H&S guys had a ND with a 40 mic mic in his fucking Bedouin tent, like, we all got our asses chewed for that. Um, like, that shit really happened. They didn't make that shit up. Like, that was real. Like, that was legitimately, like, I could look across the, the, and see the recon dude. Um, like, I got to eat with the, I, I ate with the recon dude, like, once or twice, because my buddy Ray Valdez, uh, Mike Bear, Timmy Ash, Walter Lazo, and, um, uh, or not Walter Lazo, Walter Garcia, Lazo, uh, and Randy Weiss, and then Gunny Dave Dill, like, they chopped to the reconnaissance platoon, and they were, like, my close friends. Um, it was more like a, it was probably more like a little pet, like, you know, like a little good luck charm. Um, but I looked up to those guys and they were like, Hey, this is, these are the recon guys. This is Mikey. And even then they would call me by like my first name, which is like super weird. Um, I remember Gunny Dill would make fun of me. Cause I was like, yes, Gunnery Sergeant, no Gunnery Sergeant. Like, you could call me Gunny. Like it's cool. RP3 of Marines. Like he would get like super formal <laughs> to make fun of me. Um, learn to play spades. Um, but yeah, it was just day in, day out. Like, are we going? Are we not going? Are we going? Are we not going? And then, like, we were just in regular camis, and then all of a sudden, they're like, hey, go break open your uh, mop suits. And we we're like, what? They're like, go break open your mop suits. We we're like, uh, for, for what? Like, why? Like, they're like, hey, um, and then by that time, General Madison actually come to Matilda. Um, I actually met General Madison, talked to him for like five minutes, seven minutes, something like that. Um, out of, out of the shower tent, uh, out of the shower trailer, and I saw this little dude. I'm like, man, this dude's old. Like, he must be a contractor or whatever. And then he turned around and looked at me. I'm like, oh, shit, that's General Matt. Like, <laughs> do I drop my towel and, like, let everything hang out and come to attention? And he's like, no, nah, I'm not nah, young Marine. It's fine. I'm like, well, I'm in the Navy, General. Sir, I, I, I'm an RP. Like, he's like, how do you? Uh, and so, like, we just talked for a little bit. That, that was a really cool thing, you know? Um, and uh, then there was like, yeah, you're going to. We're going. And then it was like, we staged the gear. We staged the trucks. I'll never forget. We police called before we left and struck all the, they, we left the tent up. Um, like in Generation Kill, like there's barbed wire and guard towers. Nah, there was none of that. Like it was legitimately just fucking, oh, but between us and Iraq, it was just open desert. Um, I don't know how far we were. I don't think we were like super, I don't think we were danger close to Iraq, but like like Ripper with the 7th Marines. Um, and was Ripper 7th Marines? I don't remember. So 5th, 7th, and 1st Marines were all further out than we were, and they were closer to the border. Um, and then I just remember my buddy Turberville, who's uh, Master Sergeant Turberville now, as it were. Um, he's up at Cherry Point doing some stuff. He was our driver, and we drove into Iraq. And I remember I was sick. I'd gotten a cold of all times to get a cold. It was like, <laughs> here we are going to war. 
like the ground is rumbling and there's all this night flashing from all the J dams and the, all yeah. that stuff that the air's dropping. And uh, yeah, I got sick. But yeah, like we didn't know. Like I, I, uh, I had gotten hurt uh, as a dumb boot when I was in Mississippi. I was like, oh, I got to, I'm going to go with Marines, right? So I'm going to go train. And so all of us dumb boots like started running the trails. Mississippi's surprisingly hilly and where our A school is. And I remember cresting the top of a hill and taking a long stride because I was light back then and I was kind of fast and coming up over the top of this hill and there being no hill on the bottom. And so like falling down and seeing like all these rocks, like, oh shit, here we go. So I like stopped it and pushed my hip out of socket and it hurt like really bad. And, uh, but of course, when you're a boot, you don't go to medical because then you just stay there and they send you home. And I didn't want to go home. I didn't want to embarrass my family or myself. So I, I didn't say anything. And so I trained on it and then went to Crest and trained on it, trained on it when I got to the fleet. And uh, so we're out in Kuwait milling about smartly, right? And uh, I'm wearing all my gear and my mop suit and uh, my, and I'm in like a, a decent amount of pain. And I'm still not saying anything because like all my friends are there. I'm not going to go home and miss out on this opportunity. And I'm not going to leave my friends alone. I'm not going to leave my chaplain alone. And I just didn't want to not be able to face my kid and be like, hey, I, I bitched out. Like I, I took the easy way out when they offered it. I didn't want to do that. So I just gritted it, gritted my teeth. And I went to our medical officer and I was like, hey, do you have like some Motrin or some Apresin? And he did, and he was an orthopedic surgeon, as it turned out. <laughs> and he's like, uh, you're not doing so good. Like, let me take a look at you. And he starts looking and looking at my hip joint and my knees. Like, we need to medevac you. I'm like, nah, man, sir. Like, I don't really want to go home. Like, is, is there like a steroid shot or something you can give me? And I remember this because the corpsmen were making fun of me until they saw the shot that the doc gave me. The carport, I shit you not, was like this. Um, and he gets in there and like the corpsmen are still making fun of me. I have to drop my mop gear and my trousers. Um, actually, I was probably wearing silkies at the time because we realized wearing trousers and fucking mop gear trousers was not cool, even in the middle of winter. Um, and he just... And you can see, hear him digging on bone and getting all that shit in there. And uh, and then he's like, all right, cool. Now do the next one. And uh, I'm not I'm not a hero, man. I'm not a badass. But, like, I didn't say anything. Right? I didn't grunt. I didn't cry out in pain. I was just like, Ugh. and uh, the corpsmen were like, damn, dog, like, that's gangster right there. Like, you didn't even make a peep. I'm like, well, what was I supposed to do? Like, cry or, like, scream or something? And they're like, bro, like, I'm sorry. I made fun of you, man. Like, that's, <laughs> wow. So we did that a couple times. <laughs> where they, they did the stick me thing and that sucked really bad. Um, which is how I ended up on limited duty when we got back is the doctor was like, when we get, he's like, all right, here's the deal. He's like, I won't medevac you, but when we get home and if you don't get killed, you're going on limited duty. He's like, you need to heal up so we can actually use you long-term. You know, you're young. You don't think about those terms. Like, oh, okay, sir, fine, whatever. So, you know, we, then we, there we were out in the desert going to war and open, open top Humvees with no, my armor was sandbags. Yeah, that's something that that's something that fucks. You know, obviously we didn't experience any of that. By by the time we were banging, we had some pretty decent uh, protection. But <laughs> just seeing that shit, like I still almost don't don't believe it. Like when I see it now, I'm just like, damn, they really fucking didn't. Like we're not prepared. Like the Marine Corps wouldn't be anyway. But uh, yeah. I mean, that's just that's something that still that I'm just like, you know, that's just a different. That's a different level of the experience not not even being able to rely on any type of uh protection um 
Especially nope. going in, especially going into something like that, you know. That's the fucking that's the jump off right there. That's that's you know. Yeah. And it's funny, but one of my friends is uh well he's not like we're not friends, like we don't hang out, but one of my Marines, his name was Brian Zowler, he was the first Marine over the border into Iraq. He was an engineer and the track got stuck and had to get out and blow up breach the obstacles and let us in. And so like that's how old I am. All my friends are like in the Marine Corps Museum, like, like things that like stuff that, well, like my kid got into a lot of trouble at boot camp and pretty much every day after, because like Marines in his generation, just four years ago, would be like, do you know who this is? He's like, yeah, that's so-and-so. Well, this happened. And he's like, actually, that's not how that happened. Because my dad was there or my step, my, my wife now, um, I got divorced from my son's mother and I remarried and she's a Ramadi vet. So she was in Ramadi, I think in 05 and 06. And it was still like really bad. Like she got yeah. rocketed like 400 some odd times that year. And he'd be like, yeah, that's not how that happened. Actually, that's, those guys don't look like that. That's not how they did that. And they're like, how the hell do you know stupid ass recruit? And he's like, cause my dad and all his friends were there. Like that, that, that's how I know. And of course, you know what happens after that? He's an infantryman. So go figure. <laughs> right. Yeah. Your your account of, of history is a little bit different than mine because I fucking my father's the guy that was there. So yeah, it's and it's weird how time passes like that and you can, you know, recall shit in detail like that. And it, yeah, it was fucking, you know, almost twenty years ago or Yeah. I mean I was yeah, I'm like eighteen this week, so next weekend my son is getting married on Saturday as the eighteenth anniversary of the war. And like that as a writer, like that means something. I know it does. I just don't know what it is yet. But the fact that I'm giving my, I'm saying, and I'm going to say the, the, uh, the words for him and do the ceremony, um, which is kind of cool, right? Like, you know, 18 years ago, I'm like, are we going to live? Are we going to die? Am I going to get gassed? Like, am I going to do the funky chicken? Like we had dudes like their two pam chloride would go off their auto injectors and in their, uh, their, their gas mass, or sometimes it would hit them in the thighs and we'd have to like, even the antidote or whatever for it. Like, am I going to die or what? Like, like that's fucking you know? crazy. They, they would get, they would end up getting sticking themselves with it. When yeah. They Cause like the gas mask cases that we had were those little, those like, I don't know, like they weren't very good. And so like they would flop open and it's not like we were like, Hey, you guys have a uh, two pan chloride and atropine to like protect yourselves. Don't train anymore. Like we, the engineers had built a whole little mouth town teach all of the non-infantry types how to clear rooms and so the engineers who had learned from the infantry how to clear rooms and had gone to the schools were like this is how you stack up this is how we move from room to room this is how we go from building to building we were training all day long like training to blow like the engineers were training how to make uh well we would call them ieds now right but like just improvised um, mines and improvised explosives to how, how to blow charges and like blowing doors and here's what happens if we get the call and one of the primary platoons can't blow an obstacle, you need to be able to how to set up a Bangalore and how to use the APOBs and all of this stuff. And it's like, we were training day in and day out. So of course, like, you know, we're running around doing the rah-rah thing and these things would just go off for no reason. And you'd hear them too. And you'd be like, ah, fuck, damn it. You have to oh. go to. <laughs> <laughs> That's nuts. Yeah, dude, it, it was nuts. Like, and then like, finally, like some of us would talk afterwards, like, so like, what happens if like we get gas? Like, I don't know. We'll find out. Like, I remember, like we got, we probably got gas a couple of different times. Like, I remember getting hit with Scud missiles. Like, not close enough, obviously, because I'm still here, but within range where like you get knocked off your feet and like, we just get 
like somebody just shot a missile at us like like a missile not like just a bullet a missile that's interesting that you say that man uh war on the rocks just released an article talking about how ill-prepared the marine corps is within an mbc environment we've made all these changes to maneuver warfare doctrine but the one thing that we haven't done is acknowledge the nuclear threat that's still very much alive and you know with like china's increase in nuclear warheads their programs it's becoming a, a very relevant issue and and you know now we're talking about you know the discrepancies in terms of like the invasion but we're still fucking there man like we don't have our shit squared away you know it's funny though too it's like that's historically like that is on brand for america there has not been one war i don't think we've been prepared for like world war ii we were still using world war one gear like we were just not ready in world war ii like which, which is really weird because that's only a half truth because the marine corps in the 1930s like upper echelons of command had figured that we were the next war was going to be amphibious so they had started teaching those marines back then that's why the raider battalions came out right I'm, I'm also tyler you don't know but I'm, I'm a huge history nerd so i read all this stuff right and so like we weren't ready for that like we had started the marine corps had started the amphibious warfare doctrine and figured that we were going to go to war in japan that that was going to be one of the hot spots and we'd have to go from island to island and so they taught those marines how to do that but we're still using bolt action 1903s like we didn't have any working gear and the same was true for world war one we we're like hey uh, so we're coming to war so we'll just figure it out on the way um <laughs> Hominus, yeah. there you go. Yeah, that's something in it. I mean, I we've kind of touched on, you know, something like that before, just about how training, like how dated training is. And, you know, you're you're running fucking ranges all through boot camp SOI that are, you know, World War II based. I remember telling Herrera, one of, one of uh, the first big firefights I got in Afghanistan, I remember like being like, holy shit, this is like Fox 5 or like, which was a range uh, on Lejeune. You know, and it's just like a, you know, open field and your buddy rushing in like, and I was like, holy fuck, like this actually is the training we got was, was applicable in that, in that circumstance. But, and it wasn't all like that. Obviously Iraq was a lot of urban, uh, you know, combat, but, but yeah, they're just, they're behind on shit. I think Marine, the Marine Corps especially is just, you know, but that's all. It's, yeah. And it's weird. Like there's this weird, like, from the outset of a conflict, I think that's we're learning as we go. And I think that's the strength of the American people. And it has been like, we're pretty quick studies. And then like that first generation of warfighter comes back, like, no, all of this is wrong. Here's what we do. And even if like headquarters, Marine Corps and department of the Navy don't accept it at the company squad and platoon level, they're like, this is what we learned. This is how you're going to do it. And so there's that period of years where like training is actually really on point. But like my son was telling me some of the stuff that they're training. And I was asking him like, I remember asking him something about like five block warfare, three block warfare. He's like, I don't know what that means. I'm like, where like you could be giving out charms to kids and hum rats out of the back of a Humvee and like slapping hands and like, hey, America, we love America. And then like maybe they're a little angry and then like you're taking rounds and giving rounds. He's like, yeah, we don't get taught that. Like that's not how we were instructed, which blows my mind because like we refined that. And then like there was that coin manual, right? Like that came out. Um, and we were behind the curve and then it worked and then it was again out of vogue and like it just it keeps going i don't know we're always catching training i think yeah yeah and right now they're going back to the amphibious side of things they're, they're yeah. becoming the littoral elements but that's one of the biggest beefs that i've gotten kind of like why we're 
doing this kind of like investigation to make it more applicable to the Marine Corps. It's like, at what point does that lucky charm stop? You know, it's only a matter of time. I mean, you have in mass populations that are either unfit or too slow to serve in, in, in a different capacity. And, you know, that, that reality is going to set in if there is a bona fide near peer conflict uh, where you, you better believe that they're going to set up a draft. And I don't think, I just, I just have a funny feeling that, you know, maybe, maybe it's been across generations, you know, I kind of felt the same way whenever like our seniors were leaving, you know, they're, they're like maybe questioning this generation, do they got what it takes to, to continue the legacy. And then in 09 kicks off, you know, with the surge. And despite all the discrepancies, I think we did a pretty decent job. And then especially in 2011, where we were just fucking shit up. Uh, and I kind of felt the same way leaving in 2012. It's like, I don't think that this, you know, new generation has got what it takes to, to you know, pursue. But I think that might be, you know, multi-generational in terms of yeah. just how that feeling passes on how does your how does your son how does your son feel about you know uh you know the marine corps like the brotherhood which i know he you know there probably there hasn't been a lot of heavy conflict going on the past past several years but he he has mixed feelings i'm not gonna lie he's a little angry He, he said he's let it go but like i think i did a disservice by letting him listen in on jose and my talks and the talks me and all my friends because like he expected something that he didn't get and I didn't know what to expect. So I was like just grateful for whatever. Right. But like he was going in thinking it was going to be the way we had all talked about it and all the reminiscences and he's seen it a little bit, but he said it's changed. Um, He said it's changed a lot. And that like he, so like he was, uh, like I said, he's getting married um, on Saturday, but they, his company has been tracking it since like last year. They said, like the Marine Corps has improved enough that they actually send young Marines to like pre-marriage counseling. And it's like an actual retreat that like, you will go to this and like, they give you oh, all wow. of the skills that they didn't give us. Like, Hey, this is how you don't talk to your wife, like a junior Marine. And you need to remember that like, she's your wife and she's your partner and, and like all of this stuff that I was like, man, that's actually, wish I would have had all that. Um, <laughs> so they did do that. Right. Right. But then like his chain of command is getting ready to go. They're getting ready in the middle of a workup. He's on the RBE, but not really. They didn't even cut him orders. He's just there. So he's just, he's not been removed out of his company. He's still a part of his, his company, but like, he's just chilling. He's an NCO without gear and not a billet. Yeah. And they're like, Hey, you're going to go on this deployment. He's like, uh, what? I, I put my lead kit in like three weeks ago. And, uh, but my whole chain of command knows that I'm going to get married next weekend. They're like, yeah, that's cool. Uh, so you're going to go on this deployment. And so like he goes up the chain like a good Marine's supposed to. And like nobody was like, like, oh, well, that, your name's on this roster. So you're going. He's like, how is my name on this roster? Like, how? Like, who do I talk to to fix this? And they're like, well, you're not my problem. I, you're not really in my company. So like, I can't help you. And he's like, wait, then how am I, how are you making me go on this deployment if you're not in my company? Like, I don't understand. So. I mean, it all worked out. He's not going on this this deployment, but just like stuff like that, which he thinks is strange, which really actually is pretty common. <laughs> yeah. Like, actually, it's like he tells me all these stories. I'm like, well, okay, well, for better or worse, it actually really hasn't changed a whole lot. Right. Um, like, so, but like, yeah, he was, I think he's a little 
sad that he didn't get the experience that I had. Um, I remember when he got out of, uh, like, for family day, um, him and I were talking. And he's like, hey, dude, like, dad, some of your Marines wrote to me. And, like, I feel like I've got really big boots to fill. And, like, I'm, I'm like, no, 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 man. Like, you just do your job. Keep your head down. Learn everything you can. If you pick up rank, learn to take care of your Marines and go from there. Like, you don't have to chase any of our ghosts. Don't don't look backwards for something like you gotta you gotta do with what you got and like i think he had some positive experiences i mean you have to ask him but like he like him and his buddies like a bunch of them went and spent like a 100 bucks and got like a whole goddamn house in thailand with like swimming pool bathtubs and so like he caught a lot of that stuff like he got a lot of that um but some of it was just but it's not like the three of us like some of our ties yeah and that's something weird too you know I, I kind of, you know, you see quite a bit of that on social media is like, you know, this self deprecating mentality of, I didn't, you know, I didn't get my war. I didn't get to do this. And I hate seeing that shit, but I was telling Jose that, uh, I reached out to a mortarman that was in two eight. He currently is in two eight, the Fox company. I know no one in the company, you know, it's fucking decades since I was there. And, um, it's he kind of was saying a lot of that that same thing i think that what you're you're saying but you know he got to go on muse he got to go to japan do all this shit and i'm like dude we didn't get that like i missed that and that is something i feel like i i'm i missed out on and i'm like dude appreciate that shit like enjoy that because you know you're getting to see a whole side that we we didn't you know really so yeah and it's like and both sides are traditional Marine Corps roles. Like, and that's one of the things I told him when he was getting ready for the, his Mew. Like, he was, like, kind of down about, like, dude, like, this is the most Marine thing you could do aside from rushing an objective. This is where, this is why you were born. This is why you exist. Like, yep. to go do a Mew, you're going to go have some crazy libo. You're going to do some good training with partner nation forces. And should shit go sideways, you're going to be the one that gets the call. He's yep. like, I hope it, I'm like, I was like, I'm going to tell you this now and you're going to not believe me. I'm like, I hope you don't get that call, but if you do, go do your job. And if you don't, you still did your job. There's a guy, his name, uh, he's like kill.zone at the, on Instagram. His name's, uh, he's a major, he's a Marine major. I don't know if you guys know him. Um, his name's Tom Schumann. He teaches English with the Naval Academy, and uh, I follow him. I've been trying to pare back my Instagram presence a lot because like it's a lot of energy going out that I'm not getting back. But one of the things he said is like he says he hates, and he's a, he's a, a combat veteran he was in afghanistan twice with three five or maybe once with three five. i don't remember anyway but he put in some serious work and he's like i hate seeing young marines tear themselves up over it because they're doing exactly what their nation asked of them which is exactly what what jose did which is exactly what you did was exactly what i did that looks different for this group but that's not any less than what that's not any less and those, like no. you're you're just as in like he was telling me, like they were just sitting off of Iran, and he was telling me like the actual number of drones that Iran launched at them. And he's like, "Yeah, what you saw in the news is not what actually happened." I'm like, "Yeah, tell me about it." Like, right? Like, I like I don't know. Um, like he's like, he's like, "Do you know what it's like to just sit there and wait?" And I'm like, "Actually, well, yeah, actually, I do." Uh, that's what I'm the know. best at. Like, that's yeah. it. I can do that better than anyone, man. I put that shit on my resume. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> expert it's hurry up and wait yeah subject matter expert <laughs> but like it's crazy yeah like i think you're right tyler like the younger marines think that like i remember so up at mateo we have uh what's called first on it's the tallest point on the camp and we have all our memorial crosses up there and i uh one of my buddies justin gages and uh ray valdez and some of the other engineers um 
um, all of whose names escape me because I'm going senile in my old age. Um, Matt was there, and, uh, like, so we go up there, and he grew up going up to those spots. Like, he knows those names. Like, he knows, like, those guys were dudes that, like, saw him as a little kid, and they're dead now. And so, like, he would go up there and, and visit them and stuff. And um, I remember one of the years we went up there on Memorial Day, this infantryman from 2-5, his name was Danny. He was like, oh, man, you're like, a, I see you're wearing a, a, a bracelet and, you know, you're my hero. I'm like, hey, man, like, I just did my job. Like, I'm not a hero. I didn't go running with a dagger in my teeth, kicking in doors and machine gun John Bass alone, right? Like, I just, I was an RP, man. Like, I'm not the pointy end of the spear. I just took care of my Marines so that they could go do what they needed to do. Like, I just did my job. Like, there's nothing cool about that. Well, I just feel like, you know, I'm not, I'm not as good as you guys are. And I'm like, bro, you said I'll do it. Like, you said I'll go. Like, that's enough. Like, 98% of our population don't. Like, you're good, man. Like, I don't, I'm not going to look down on you. I mean, am I going to laugh at your foot mobile because you ain't got a car? Yeah, probably I'm going to. But, like, that's just good-natured fun, right, brother to brother. Like, I don't, it doesn't make you less than. I don't know, man. Like, I, I also hate it when dudes do that. Dude, yeah, for sure. And that's, you're absolutely right. Like, just hearing you talk about, you know, I was an assaultman in infantry, which we did a lot of, well, they got rid of my job now, which is what combat combat engineers do that. (laughs) Fucking right, you are. (laughs) But it's funny, it's funny that you talk about, like, doing breaching and fucking APOBs and, like, all this shit that combat engineers do, like, assaultmen or infantry guys that they might not, like, you were were non-infantry, but you probably experience more fucking infantry training and and like good shit that guys don't even get to do grunts don't even get to do that shit and that's i mean and that's just the way times change but like you're saying like we were just there the task was put in front of us we handled it you you guys just aren't being tasked with the similar you know similar situations we were doesn't mean you wouldn't do it if you had the opportunity but um yeah it it just sucks and and that's kind of like a also like a thing where it's like you know kind of be careful what you what you wish for because if you do get that you don't know who comes back also yeah you know and um yeah that's just kind of like a it's like a pandora's box type thing you know yeah it is man like i was at us it's funny but like so now i mean x many years after the boom right like here i am i teach creative writing in a in a at a university here in town like i love my job um are the students are really struggling with this COVID lockdown and they're having some serious mental health issues. And uh, one of my colleagues, her name's Melody Moisey, she's a great colleague. Um, she locked on what's called 2PR. It's like, I don't remember what it's for, but it's basically, it's our version of the suicide prevention brief, but for the university setting. And uh, so I show up and it's like a two hour brief and I'd asked a couple of questions and one of the persons is like, well, you know, what's been your experience? And I'm like, oh, well, you know, I, I've got a I was like, my, my dead friend's number in the teens at this point. Like, I don't even count anymore. I don't, that's part of the reason why I try to stay off socials. Cause it's like, just when you think you're having a good day, it's like, Oh, do you hear so-and-so checked out? It's like, come on. Like, I don't want, I don't want to do that anymore. And it's like, and like, like Jose was teasing Mikey the other day. It's like, how are you going to your wedding without a car? And he's like, I'm going to walk on foot. He's like, and I'm not dragging around all this PTSD and some of the things that you've got. So like, he's matured, like he gets it now. <laughs> Right. Like he's like, so you can go fuck yourself, Jose. Like, that's what he was basically saying. He's like, you know, at least. But like, yeah, like those those are those things that like you don't think about. Like I wrote um, like I remember this is so old. Like I I was so poor. I didn't I couldn't even afford a digital camera. I had the little Kodak ones. And like I took pictures of all like 
all the all the cool war shit, right? Like I took pictures of. Um, well, all those cameras got destroyed in transit. And in an essay that I wrote, I'm like, you know, the funny thing is, is like I'd seen that in the movies that like you take pictures and you collect dirt and you do all this namesake stuff. It's like well, what they don't tell you is you actually don't need any of that shit because it's here and that's not going away. Like, like um, I wrote a piece called uh, 41 and I, it was a, a meditation on the number 41. So my Sergeant Major Ellis got killed like right before his 41st birthday or maybe right around there. And I was 41 and one day or I'll just shy of my 41st birthday pretty sure I was going to make it. I'm 44 now. And just like my son was five years old and, and he died in 2007. And just thinking about like how time stopped for him, I can still, I can hear his voice with that big fat lip of dip. Right. And just how that, that messes with the way you talk. And he was from uh, Ashland, Ohio, but like, I thought he was somewhere in the South because he had a weird twenty, like, like clear as day. I can, like, if you, if I could hear him like yelling at me, like right now, right like those are the things that they don't tell you about and yeah. so yeah you're right like it, it is a pandora's box like and they're things that i wouldn't trade but also it's like you know yeah for sure <laughs> yeah just kind of say and i feel like you know that probably this probably it obviously has had happened before you know after conflicts guys that are serving the, their country and they don't get to experience the stuff especially shortly after it ends you know you probably you're seeing a lot and, you know, and it, a lot of what you didn't get to experience. And it's probably hard for guys that still want to serve and do that shit. They just, you know, wrong timing, I guess. Um, There's also an, another emphasis and this probably a good segue to tap into it too, with like the vet bro culture and just the, the image versus substance kind of a thing. But so Mike knows, I always talk about virtue ethics, right? That's what the Marine Corps is built upon is warrior ethos. And it seems somewhere along the line that got pushed underneath the rug between, you know, our communities, whether it was the veteran community or whether it was the operational community, uh, kind of commodifying or making consumer moves with all our team stuff. They, they took the sacred stuff and then just began to create, yeah, a culture, something that we could, you know, laugh at, get around. But then somewhere between there, it got kind of perver perverted or like corrupted. And I think that's been very detrimental to the mental health aspect of, you know, this supposed illusion of transition is like, all right, so what what is this, you know, um, experience that was supposed to be the experience? And that idea of service comes with nothing but image and no substance. And part of it too is just no one wants to talk about it no more. No one wants to talk about the deep, boring, philosophical conceptions of what that might mean. And that's kind of why I linger around, you know, creative writing. That's kind of why I linger around still with those philosophical notions is that, look, there are just some things with the physical aspects of war that you really cannot, uh, create you know you can only find it in those philosophical notions you know did you take care of your guys all right yeah perfect you took care you did your part right yep. Honor, courage, commitment. and i think that's something that a lot of senior guys and this is kind of why it's been a, a challenge to approach people to come forward and say hey man speak your truth maybe you can show some of us younger guys 
uh, what we've forgotten. And I know me and Mike have had this conversation, this idea of hyper-reality, right? There's nothing but simulations and copies that come with this idea of consumerism, right? Especially with the vet bro culture that has just pervaded social media. And it's kind of now leaked into law enforcement where everything's just about being cut up, fit, you know, this awesome high-speed gear. But in reality, it means nothing. Absolutely nothing. So Mike, yeah, just, like, I rem- oh, go ahead. Well, I just, I remember like when you went, you auditioned for that one show that they filmed here. I don't know, Tyler. Well, Tyler, you remember because you were stationed. You're like Wilmington's like Hollywood East, supposedly, right? And they yeah. were filming, filming that what? Was it SEAL Team 6 or yes, yeah, one of those shows? And they were like, <laughs> you don't look military enough, bro. You need to go home. And like, I, I remember hearing that and laughing. And it's like the, mil- the outside world. And like my work deals a lot about that stuff. Like you'll sit, catch lines. Like in the movies, this would happen. Um, but really, like this, this is what it's like, right? Like I'm a little, well, okay, I'm not as little as I used to be. But like when I enlisted, like I was 110 pounds. When I, I remember getting on the scale at Mark Air Force Base and I was like 285 with my rifle, my rounds, my pack, my sea bag, and my little body. Well, that's a lot of weight. Like, that wasn't even mine. Like, I'm a little guy, but I don't fit the military role because I was skinny. And, like, I remember seeing, like, all the guys that were jacked, like, guys that had gone on float, like our Alpha Company guys. They were they were the jacked Marine, like, the picture-perfect postcard guy, right, the recruiting poster, watching them shrivel up because they couldn't get their proteins. They couldn't get the nutrients that they needed. They couldn't get to the gym. We're just sitting out there in the middle of nowhere waiting to see whether we were going to go get gas or go home or whatever and like see like that's like nobody knows those things they just think it's like you're saying it's like it's the 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 vision that we want that we think our service members should be but nobody wants to talk about what it's like to see like i remember um there's a book called all quiet on the western front and it is a really good scene um jose you remember this because we read it for my class right and where these guys are like their identity is caught up in them being german soldiers and then they go to the river and they have to take off their clothes to get naked, to get in the water. And then realizing that they're just scrawny little boys. They're not the soldier men that they thought they were. They were just little dudes who wanted like some bread and some water and to go home. Like that's, that, that's it. And like, nobody loves, nobody likes to talk about that. It's not, that's like the idea of being vulnerable and like, yeah, man, like when those missiles hit, like I was a little scared, maybe not at that moment because I was a little too busy trying to like make sure all my parts were there. Um, make sure I got my gas mask on. Like when you guys started taking rounds, like you're not really focused on that at that moment. But afterwards, you're like, that was kind of scary. Like I was talking to the buddy of mine who retired. He's like, you ever counted? Like he was getting ready to retire. He's like, you ever counted on one hand? Like how many times? Like how many times you should be dead? I'm like, nah, I, that's just because you're new to retirement. Like you stop doing that. Like you can't do that. Like that's not. <laughs> that'll drive. That'll make you old. But those are the things that don't make it into that vet culture. And there's two sides of that too. There's the the hero vet and the victim vet. And I think that both uh, is both are a disservice because you get guys that you get uh carl marlanti says it best right like what happens is we come home and the civilian's like oh you must feel so bad for what you did or i could never do that and carl marlanti's like that's not true he's like you could do that if you went through the training that i went through that my marines went through you could do that you would do that you you might not feel bad you you, and i remember one of the lines like it's good to kill your enemy i don't have a problem with killing dudes that were trying to kill me sorry like, i'm sorry if that offends your stateside sensibilities but like don't put your don't put your morals on me for something you don't understand like and i think that's that's part of where that comes from like we want 
we want this notion of the the brave service member who's going to protect our our liberties but like not the skinny kid who has to write a will and like gee who am i going to give my xbox to if i die even though that 19 year 18 19 year old kid like being like it's so weird isn't it like you, you, you might think about that when you write your will, but also like you can't think about that. Not in the way that at 45 right now, I get a chest pain. Like, oh my God, as I smoke a cigar, right? Like, oh my God, am I, is this a heart attack? Am I going to live to see my kids? Like death is a very real thing for me now in a way that in the middle of a foreign country where dudes wanted to kill me, wasn't. Like even when I almost got shot in the head and I was like, holy shit, this dude's trying to kill me. What did I ever do to this guy? Never mind the fact that I had 300 rounds of my own to put into him. Like that never clicked. For me, right? That's those are the things that we don't grapple with because they're not black and white, which is why I'd also love this creative writing side of things. Right? We get to explore those messy confluences of of morality and and reality and like what what all of that means. Like you got those dudes that are like, please don't put don't do fireworks. Well, I love fireworks, but also like Warner Brother when they're gonna happen. Like I don't want to be napping on my couch at 2 p.m. on a Sunday and all of a sudden somebody throws a firecracker outside of my window. Like, that's not cool to anybody. Right. Whether I'm a war vet or not, like, it just sucks. Right. <laughs> Dude, that honestly, what, you know, people talk about that shit now. And for me, being when I was fresh out of the Marine Corps, it wasn't like nearby fireworks. Sometimes like cars backfiring, that shit would like startle me. But the shit that fucked with me was hearing like my neighbor a mile down the street do it. Because I remember being like just in country. Anytime you heard fuckers blow up Tannerite around here like crazy. I kind of live out in the country. And that shit like for a while fucking. I'm just like because you would sit in, in your fucking fob dude. And you knew adjacent platoons had patrols out. And anytime you're a fucking ID off. It was just like you're running to the COC to fucking hear if there's names being called. Yeah. Like, and that's just how it was. And it bugged me for a while. That wasn't really anymore. But the the shit all like firefights, the way they sounded off in the distance and the way firecrackers and shit sounds like down the road a mile. That fucking, there's just a weird, yeah, it's a weird, uh, weird thing. But yeah, I don't think that ever really leaves. It's just like one of those sensory things that snaps you right back there and you're like, holy shit. Yeah, for my wife and I, it's diesel fuel. Mm. Um, diesel, like, so we, I, I was just talking to Jose about this the other day. Um, where we get our trees here in town is a dirt lot. And it's got that moon dust. You step in it, you can hear it go poof. Like, you can hear the poof and yeah. see it come up. And so, like, it gets in your nose and, like, you're, like, my body tenses up right when I do it. Well, right as we did that, like, I stepped in one of those little piles of moon dust and felt the poof and, like, my whole skin, like, dried up just as somebody revved their Cummings diesel engine and I was like oh and I looked at my wife and she looked at me and like the guy with our Christmas tree's like are you guys okay I'm like yeah no, man we're good like it's fine like I didn't like go curl in a hole or nothing but like also yeah. like ugh, like like that quick it's weird that's such a I'm weird fine. yeah like I, I wrote a piece about that too like um called uh, throwback thursday where one of my uh one of my tas like i supervise six tas it's funny i got out of the service because i was tired of being uh leading folks and being responsible for folks and now i supervise and mentor six tas so i'm pretty much still platoons aren't it is what it is and uh they were listening to jimmy worlds in the middle <laughs> um and that song dude like that and that's and i think you're talking about brovet culture and the hyper real and the 
and the, the the reality versus what we think reality is is like those are the stories that don't get told like that that actually did more for me in a positive and a negative way taking me back than a firecracker did like because you know my marines are my friends but like they're still marines like they don't like for me it wasn't and part of it was like you know i just thought marines were cool for whatever reason and uh like but realizing that they were people like my buddy um uh, uh, what is, what is his name? O'Neal. No, no, that's Mike. Um, I have to call Skinny. Ryan McDaniel, right? Ryan McDaniel was a drummer, and he loved Jimmy World. And I remember this because we were talking about Jimmy World, so I bought the Jimmy World CD. Like, I had two CDs. Like, Jimmy World was one of them. And he was like, oh, man, I love these guys. I'm a drummer back home. I was in a band. It's like, there's this moment where this sergeant of Marines who had one of his team leaders stop a vehicle. And by stopping the vehicle, his team leader thought, oh, well, the 40 Mike might through a window to stop the vehicle. And Ryan, Ryan told me the story later. He's like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, you said stop the vehicle. He's like, yeah, stop the vehicle, not stop the vehicle. He's like, oh, well, sorry, man. But I mean, the, the vehicle was rushing a, a VCP. So like, what are you supposed to do, right? Like, but like, yeah. so that's the Marine and that's what everybody thinks about. But like, you don't realize that he's a he's a dude from new york that loves jimmy world like i like jimmy world so these tas are are playing jimmy world that song and like here i am whatever year it was it was like 2017 i was in my 40s in my office i'd had a shower that day my belly was full of food i couldn't smell or taste diesel fuel because we were on ship but the minute that song played and i write about this like i can smell my buddy's feet like we, he was not allowed to take his feet off in birthing because it just it smelled so bad. We floated home from Iraq. And like some of the Marines like doing rack ops because the squad leader, Sergeant Bear, said so. Like all of those moments, like in a fraction of a second, that block of time like inhabited my body while I was sitting in my office in the present time. And just like that stuff that the culture doesn't, like the t-shirts and I love me a good t-shirt. I'm wearing a, a vet t-shirt now, right? Like I love a good t-shirt, like, but like the things that society expects of us, that's the thing they can't capture and they, they don't know how, but I think they're perverting who we are because it's like, oh, it's all about the war and it is all about the cool gear. It's like, nah, man, it's about remembering that like what's his face couldn't take his boots off. And that was the first yeah. time I realized that my buddy who was a killer, who has a body count was a dude just like me like i don't know yeah and there's something there is something that's definitely unspoken about that and it's it's a weird type of like forced toleration of of other individuals that being in those circumstances living in tight quarters you and you just have to accept people for all their differences because you yep. and 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 the common person doesn't ever get that in life unless you go through some you know a similar circumstance but that those are things that I think make make service members better better citizens and individuals yeah. because you just have a a higher level of of you know understanding of different types of people. Um, but regardless of what you what you went through, you when you go through those developmental um, periods with in tight quarters with people that are different, you that stink, that fucking you know have bad hygiene or whatever and you know you still got to be there for that guy like that's just uh that is something that you don't you don't hear about unless you experienced it 
Oh. Yeah, and it's and and when they do try to capture it, it's always so cliche. Like right. it's it's always cliche, and it's just like it's like I write nonfiction, and somebody asks me, it's like, well, all the stuff you write, how come you didn't choose fiction? Most more 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 writers go to poetry or fiction. I'm like, yeah, they do. Like, but like the stories I have to tell, the stories that matter to me, it's not about how I was like Mr. Billy Badass because I wasn't. It's like it's about like all of my friends, like who I thought were the coolest dudes in the world, like um. Like, there's a picture of some Marines crossing the Diala River. Um, and you see the guy, like, he's doing the classic pose, like, follow me. Right? I think that was Cantu Maldonado. Like, that's my buddy Cantu, who was like, come on, guys. And right after that, or maybe right before, Joey Biancamano, who was in the same platoon, like, did a Medal of Honor run. And all he got was a damn. Right? Damn fine job, son. I'll get back in formation. Like, because the, <laughs> the, the, the charge didn't go off like it was supposed to and he had to run his ass to get it to set it and run all the way back didn't get a thing for it right like but in the movies it would have been like this cool music and like he would have run and like they, like it would have blown and like he would have gotten awards and like it would have been this big thing and it was like nah bro like thanks for doing your job today maybe you don't have to do it tomorrow and like that's the stuff that like but in the movies it would have been like he would have saluted and there'd be tears and was like come on yeah, <laughs> I digress. Like I, I have lots of feelings about that. <laughs> yeah, for but sure. I, what, one of the things I want to talk about though is like, so uh, I went out to Oregon a couple of years ago, and I uh, ended up linking up with my buddy Timmy Ash, who was a, was an engineer attached to, uh, uh, I think he was the Alpha Company. I want to say, and if I'm wrong, Timmy, I'm sorry. I, I don't remember all these details, right? But like one of the things we were talking about, the same thing that you were just talking about right now, is a is like our culture has lost what it means to be servants. We want to be sexy. We want the multi-barrel uh, NVGs. It's like, I remember somebody posted, I'm like, wait, you guys had NVGs? <laughs> like, if we did, like, <laughs> we, we, like if, if we had one, it was like one, and it was like the one with like one barrel, you had like no depth perception. <laughs> like, half the time, the batteries didn't work out, and it's like, my turn! You know, it's like, and we had all the cool gear and the slings, and it's like, like, I remember, like, hobbling my feet together with like I could not sew where the dam and I still cannot like just trying to cobble it all together but like that didn't matter because what mattered was is like I don't know man like if I got a box of cookies from home or some toilet paper well then like we all got to wipe our ass with some nice toilet paper or we all got cookies like it was about making sure like like you said like we're taking care of our people and that's the thing that got lost somewhere and the sexiness of the war like just taking care of your dudes is like, and your women, right? Like this is 2021 and women served in the military just as much as we do. Like it is what it is. Um, there's another funny about, story about that too. Like my wife one time, like in 2011 or 12, when women were allowed to serve in combat is what like the headlines were. And so like my, I guess it was 2013 or 2014 because I was in the MFA program. And some of my MFA um, classmates were asking Lisa, like, aren't you so proud and aren't you so happy that you can finally <laughs> serve? And she's like, first of all, uh, we've already been there. Second of all, it fucking sucks. I got rocketed 400 plus times the year I was in combat. Cool. Like, great. So, like, you finally think that we're there. She's like, we've been there the entire time. Like, I don't. And they were like, wait, what? And she was like, just because you've heard something doesn't mean it's true. Like, my wife got super upset, and these people were just like, oh, my God, like, you're not for this, like, this this social mo moment. She's like, yeah, get your facts straight before you come to me. Like, she's a little, 
No, she's not going to put anybody's bullshit. She was like, I don't know. I was there the whole time. Yeah, for sure. And they were, I mean, it, you know, you don't, you got to be a dummy not to know that, I think, or do, I do absolutely no research, you know, yeah. at all. No. Um, and, but yeah, it's like, it just, the idea of service is gone. And, but it's not a new thing. Like, I, I read a lot for a lot of reasons and not just creative writing. Like, if you read, I think it's the five rings. Is it the five rings? One of the, one of the samurai texts, right? Where the ancient person is like, you know, yeah, one of these, the samurais are wearing two swords these days because they think it's cool, but they have no reason why, they have no idea why they're wearing the short sword and the long sword. And it's like, so even then, way, way back then, like they were dealing with reality versus expectation, like fashion versus practicality. And so it's like, it's not something new to specifically to our culture. But what is new, I think, is the access. Like, right, I'm on a bus on TikTok boots and whatever, like, and all the TikTok stuff. Like, there's such an access now to it that it's different in the way that it was where like you know you'd see the dude come in with all the cool gear like take that shit off like that's heavy like you're not gonna like you're not gonna be able to move the contact in like all of that gear get rid of that stuff drop this like you don't need that you don't need this you do need that right like i don't know yeah man for us it was more bullets more water i always chose more water one shot one kill fuck all that bullshit man i'm not thinking (laughs) more than you know (laughs) Dude, I've I've told Jose before. I was like, dude, I wish I didn't fucking carry twelve mags. I ca- I carry twelve fucking mags, dude. And I'm like, that you know, how much is a full mag weigh? I'm like, I I needed fucking six probably. I needed half that. And that was actually twenty pounds I was carrying or whatever. And yeah, um, but yeah, that is weird. And not to you know, go back, but anytime I do see fucking like. Any, even if it's a movie or like generation kill shit, a representation of someone, I see fuckers in that mob gear. Even though we we tr- we did like training in it, maybe a couple times we didn't fucking wear that shit on deployment. I don't even think we had it. But, we had to wear a gas mask on our sides, right? And but we didn't actually it. have the fucking shit. I don't think they but make anyway, really good snow snowboard suits though. <laughs> <laughs> but what what I was saying is, anytime I see like, even though we didn't, I didn't experience. I know I fucking probably know how hard that made everything wearing that shit. And, you know, I'm just grateful. That makes me grateful. That <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, honestly, like, like we, I felt bad. There's this one kid and I won't, I won't name his name because I feel bad for him. Um, even though he was kind of a shithead. Uh, maybe I was just a shithead too, probably. Uh, I was young. I was probably a shithead too, right? But this kid had to take a shit really bad, right? And it's like, there's no trap door. So we were outside in Nazaria. This is like, I think the first time I got mortared. Cause I remember seeing it at its arch and coming down. And, uh, just as the mortar hit and me like, wow, that's really fucking cool. And the chaplain was like, you probably want to get down, man. I was like, oh shit. And then like this LAV comes busting out of the brush and like just squacks these dudes that were trying to mortar us. It was super cool. Looking back, like at the time, I was like, well, that was stupid. Anyway, like, so right after that, like this dude had to take a shit. Not cause he had shit himself cause he was scared, but like, you know, he, it was like, we're eating like we're we're I don't I don't know if we were already down to one MRE a day, but uh, he's like he goes and he goes to the bowl of a uh, uh, one of the backhoes of the bulldozers to go do his stuff and we we're just gonna drop it off and we come back and he's walking all funny we're like what happened dude he's like I, I he's like well so what happened was is like I didn't get the pants down in time and so like he shat all over his mop gear we didn't have resupply. <laughs> So he had to wear that shit 
for I don't know how long. Oh no! Like that's, that's like my first. So bad for that dude. Like, <laughs> what are you gonna so, like? So, I mean, excuse me, forgot. Maybe no way. How fucking long did you guys have to wear that shit for? I think like I don't know what the official account says, but it's felt for like goddamn ever. Yeah. Like at least a few weeks. I'm definitely. Right. I'm pretty sure it was at least a few weeks. Like. <laughs> Like, it was just, like, it was insane, dude. Like, on the one hand, it was cool, because here's something they don't tell you. The desert's fucking cold. Like, it gets really right. cold in Iraq in March, in, in March even, still. Like, which is really weird, because, like, during the day, it could be, like, balls hot. But then, like, at night, you're just, like, like now, now I'm thankful that I had that training out now that I think about it, because I was used to it. But, like, also, it's surprisingly cold. And so, like, it was an extra warming layer. But also, like, like it, it wasn't tactical. Like, you move and, like, you're wearing 1970s pants. And you get to switch, switch, switch. Like, uh, the old Gore-Tex that I used to have. It's, like, they, they're going to hear you coming from, like, 500 miles away. Like, it was not. And then they started to just stink. Like, it was so yeah. bad. So bad. Like, we smelled so bad. Like, I, like, I just remember feeling freedom when the word came down. Like, hey, you can get out of those mop seats. We're like, <laughs> all right. Cool. Dude, yeah. Anytime I I see that shit, it makes me think of like you know when somebody's fucking trying to cut weight or something for a fight, and they put those fucking like wrestlers used to do it. They put those fucking sweat suit. I'm like, that's what the inside of that fucker was probably like, just a fucking sauna in there. It was because it was charcoal coated to protect us, and then it started to chafe. If like, because you didn't want to wear camis underneath it, because then that would just be extra layers. So you were just probably wearing silk tees and a t-shirt. Maybe just silkies and uh, maybe a polypro. Some dudes wore nothing at all, but the and so like that's just chafing the shit out of you the entire <laughs> time because like you're sleeping in it, you're eating in it, you're fighting in it like just all day long. No. Mm, yeah, grateful, grateful, <laughs> grateful. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things I always uh, uh, tell Mike. I was like, at least I didn't have to wear fucking mop here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then like and then if like you had to put your gas mask on on top of that, like. There, I don't know. There's, I mean, maybe now there's enough training that like you can pre- prepare you for wearing all that shit and a gas mask and not getting the oxygen you need when you're moving. But like that sucks. Like it just. I remember, um, I remember going to headquarters battalion and getting pulled aside by one of the staff and was like, "Hey, man, you know, you're not supposed to wear your gas mask while you train." I'm like, "What?" I'd gone out for a gas mask run and a flak run because I was dumb and motivated that way, and. uh he was like, yeah, you don't have to wear that while you're training, man. Like, that, that part's gone. Like, you, you could, like, dispense with that. I was like, yeah. all right, cool. Like, I, very well, I won't do that. I won't take my, and just, like, I don't know, man. Oh, the smell. I think it was the smell that did it. Yeah. Uh, going back, man, my first patrol in Afghanistan at night out of uh, the 5-0 Northern OP shithole. I had is right after uh, Fourth of July, and we had yeah, the yeah, company yeah. Uh, freaking kebabs, and I got dysentery, man. And yeah. that shit, you not, man. I, there I am, just squirting, squirting <laughs> down my frocks. <laughs> and those damn things were fucking useless too, man. They like ripped every time. Like, it just we looked like a fucking raggedy. We did. Bug, we did. There was some reporter that came down. Like literally, everyone in the company fucking. We didn't have like there's these things just shredded. We're all fucking knees blown out, like looking like bums out there. Yeah. 
seriously, like elbows, shit, all, everybody's all holed up. And they're like, this reporter I remember came down to the suit and was just like, do y'all not have, like, like, I think she wrote an article about just how we look like shit. We're all fucking skinnier than hell. Cause we're yeah. not, you know, we're, we're fucking doing at least five click patrols minimum, like a day. And no, you can't eat enough cause you're just sweating everything out. And we just look like a bunch of, a bunch of vagrant bombs and, um anyway yeah that that's just those frog suits did kind of suck though they they did breathe nice though i'm glad we didn't have you know regular camis but or those well, the regular new... camis don't hold up either like one of one of my other memories one of my my funny memories is a dude named nick Fidel. he was a corporal at the time he ended up making sergeant before he got out because we all came up through the ranks together but so nick Rizel is sitting there on a camp stool which and that's the other thing that doesn't translate is like little luxuries like those piece of shit camp stool that you're like i ain't sitting on that i've got a couch but like in country you're just like oh camp stool like I, yeah. so he's sitting there with a camp stool right and like from knee to knee like the whole crotch and his thighs are just completely blown out he's sitting there sunning himself <laughs> he's got a pair of silkies on and our company first aren't walks up he's like hey there corporal Fizel, where's your sewing kit like aren't you gonna fix your camis he's like first aren't like i i don't have a sewing kit it's in my sea bag back with all my shit that's inventoried because you know they make you well you know that like they made us inventory our like that was another new thing like hey inventory all your shit so if you don't get killed we so if you get killed we don't have to um and then put it in a get put it in a connex box so like there you go so he's like well my sewing kit's probably in my sea bag or maybe it fell out i don't know i don't know where my sewing kit is you need a new set of camis there devil dog he's like I'll get right on that first time. Like, and then so, and so Nick's sitting there smoking, a, probably smoking a cigarette. Like, yeah, right. Like, didn't even bother to stand up and come to modified parade rep. Still sitting on his, his camp stool, falls out in the wind. It's just like, I'm sorry, I look raggedy. Like, maybe yeah, like, like I don't even have enough thread for this. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't have the fucking, oh shit. He's like, it'd be cool if you could get us some new camis for us, aren't like, that'd be cool. Um, were, were, those, a second. were those camis the chocolate chip ones? No, I'm not that old. Uh, we had, so it was crazy. So this was like right when the digis came out, but also the tricolor. So like half of us had digis and half of us had tricolor. Um, Nick had tricolors. I'm pretty, I want to remember that. I mean, I, I could go look at the photo of Nick, but I'm pretty sure he was in tricolors. Yeah, not so yeah, but all the, all the, uh, all the mob suits were, were woodland, woodland green. Yeah. 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 In the desert. Yeah. Fucking tactical, tactical gods. Well, like it wasn't so bad for us. Cause we moved through the Tigris Euphrates river Valley, which surprised me. It was really green. Like it was really green. Like I'd never seen that color green, like in some parts, in some parts it was like, we right. stood out like, like really like, come on. Like who thought this one through? Like some dudes got like like some of the interpreters got desert mop suits. Some of the reporters had desert mop suits, and some oh, some wow. dudes had desert mop some some like in relatively no num low numbers. But yeah, but most of us were rocking the green tricolors. The only ones who had chocolate chips then were the super secret squirrel guys. Okay. Um, the CIA operators they are not operators, but well yeah they were probably. Whoever those super secret squirrels were, they were the ones rocking tricolors. Which you know you're trying to blend, but those dudes stood out. Yeah, for yeah. sure. What what can you walk us through uh kind of like the ending of that deployment? Like how did that how did that feel? Uh like all right, I guess we're going home. Like so we 
it's really funny. So like we're sitting there in Baghdad and we're like, all right, well, I guess this is it. We're going to go home now. Um, we'll come back in a couple months and take over from the army. Uh, two, five, I think stayed, uh, like I think one battalion. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember all the logistics. I know we left some units behind to like do uh, security and stabilization operations, but most of us were like, all right, you're going home. They were like, cool. How? Like, we have no idea. <laughs> and so <laughs> like, no shit. Like, uh, like, how did we get there? Planes, trains, automobiles. Like, we got there because the Marine Corps needed us. Uh, the Marine Corps didn't need us to get home. So, like, we went, so we flew over. We came home on ship. Uh, we I, actually, the Bonham Richard, which burned to the hole, the hole, right? Um, that was the ship I came home on. It was really cool because I was working in the library one day and I opened up a book, and the entire plan for the war, somebody from 1 4 had left in some book. And so I'm like, oh, I remember this objective, and then we're going to take this objective, and we have to take this objective. I wish I would have kept it, but I didn't. It would have been super cool. Um, but, like, so I had 1-4's whole entire battle plan for the entire, not even just, like, battled about, like, the entire campaign, like, when we were supposed to hit each town and what our objectives were and what regiments were supposed to do what. So clearly this was an officer who left this there. Um, but that was super cool. But, like, yeah, so the deployment ended, and they were like, all right, well, we're done taking over a country and toppling a leader. The Army and these select Marine units, are, the Special MAGTAFs are going to do their thing. The rest of us go home. Um, and I had acquired, like, an AK-47 and an SKS and some other stuff. I, I had a little bit of a – I was a, I was a decent scrounger, and I had come up with some stuff. Like, you can't take any of that stuff home. I was like, well, but it's fine. Like, I, I found it. Like, no, you can't take trophies home. you got to get rid of all that stuff. So I, I went and I threw it in some fucking canal. And then, like, the very next day, word changed. And they're like, hey, uh, you can take some stuff home. And I was like, oh. all right, well – it's gone now, so it is what it is. Um, so then we got in our trucks and drove all the way back, however many hours, into Kuwait, and then drove to the port and sat there. And I, I remember, like, that was, like, one of the very few real showers I got. Like, um, other showers were, like, I remember one time we took a shower, like, by poking holes in a bucket and warming water out of a jerry can. And um, one Marine would stand up by and pour the water uh, just a little bit of water to give you a little bit of a shower. You'd soap up and then you'd pour it on again. Like a couple of us would go through. Um, and then, uh, but yeah, so like we got back to the army camp and like they had like beds and showers and we were like, wow, this is like, this is like the Hilton. Like that was cool. And then like we just sat there and then we got on LCACs and got on the ships and came home. And we got to stop in Australia for a couple of days. That was cool because the CEO had never been to Australia and of the ship and was like, hey, we're going to go to Australia, uh, Sydney and Brisbane. So we stopped in Sydney and Brisbane and Hawaii. Um, so it was like, yeah, we went to Iraq and then they were like, all right, well, you're going home. So like, and I remember Sydney was cool because we didn't have any, we didn't pack any civilian clothes. We weren't on a mule. We, we, we didn't know we were riding home on ship. So we had no civilian clothes. And, you know, like you can't wear utilities or camis out in public. They're like, all right, Marines, so this is what's, and sailors, this is what's going to happen. We're going to let you off the ship, and you have six hours to go buy civilian clothes and be in civilian clothes. If we catch you out of civilian clothes after whatever time it was, you know, we're going to NGP your ass into oblivion. That was, like, the way it was. So then, like, we raided all of the civilian clothing stores in Sydney, Australia. Um, we all got in, got our hotels. Um, we all, those of us that had libo, there was a lot of booze that got drunk. 
a lot of booze that got drunk. I got feel so like we had some cool decompress like we got some decompression time. So like you hear these stories where it's like, oh, like on Monday I was in a gunfight and on Thursday I was at Applebee's in Jacksonville or or at a burrito stand in Carlsbad. Like I didn't have that experience. We got some time to transition. I mean, kinda, because we were all still around one another. So we're all still in that mindset, but we did have some time and distance between the last day in Iraq and our first day is back in Conus, which is kind of cool. It's yeah. a luxury. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think, I don't know. I don't mean, I have heard people, you know, reference that that was their experience, but I don't know. I don't think I know anyone personally that just got fucking dumped back into the fucking, you know, besides you, maybe Herrera, you got, you got kicked straight out to the city pretty quick after you got back. But I mean, as far as coming home went, there was a little bit of, a little bit of time there um, where you weren't, you know, outside the wire exposed to shit like that. But it's so funny too. I remember my wife at the time was like, are you like, it's this is again like hyper reality and reality like are you okay like we've heard stories about like guys digging foxholes i'm like wait how did you hear stories no one's come back yet and she was like what i'm like how did you hear stories of dudes digging fighting holes and sleeping in fighting holes and and doing all that weird stuff like we're one of the first waves back like that's not i mean i mean granted we had it took us like forever and a day to get home so like we left and like it took us like two months to get home, I think. Maybe a month and a half. I don't know. So we slow rolled it all the way back. Because you can steam all the way across like in five days if you had to get there. But we didn't have to get anywhere. So we took our time. So I guess some, some units some some units got home. But she's like, yeah, there are horror stories about husbands choking their wives out and, and thinking this and that and the other and doing this and that. And I'm like, that's bullshit. That's not going to happen. Like, that's all lame. So then, like one day I was taking a nap. And I was upstairs in my house on base and uh, just passed out. So I say all that stuff didn't happen. But then all of a sudden, I remember this, I hearing a kid scream RPG and jumping out of a dead sleep during my nap. I was on post-deployment leave, jumping out of a dead sleep, looking for my boots, couldn't find my boots, couldn't find my weapon, freaked out, run downstairs to see what's going on. And my, my wife and my son were out there and, he was jumping into his little kiddie pool and she's like what i'm like didn't you hear that did you hear that hear that marine say rpg like she's like dude it's the kids next door they're just playing war like what do you want and i was like huh, i'm just kidding like it's cool i was just i was just messing with you and i was like oh my god like so you know i did have that time but then also like out of a dead sleep i was like oh my god like i feel like an idiot i'm, I'm, I'm gonna go back upstairs and go to bed now of course could i go back to sleep no um I don't know. It, it, it is what it is. Yeah, for sure. Well, I kind of, I'm interested uh, in, in your creative writing as far as like, what did you, were you always writing? Did you write on deployment or is that something that you got into after? So service? I kept the journal like, and like, I didn't think I was going to be a, like, I didn't think like, I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to write all this war stuff, right? Like I just, uh, yeah. So what really happened is, so they made me leave First Marine Division. The Navy is, in fact, does want their their pound of flesh. And they're like, hey, it actually says U.S. Navy on your name page, so you actually got to go do Navy things. And so I was a first class, which is an E6, is an RP1. 
And like, you need to go take orders out of the Marine Corps. And I was like, well, why? All my friends are here. Like, this is home. I don't want to leave. And they're like, yeah, cool story, bro. Anyways, so you belong to us. So pick some orders. So I took orders at the Naval Academy. Um, and uh, I did not do so well away from the Marines. Um, it's like I had had my whole support network pulled out from underneath me. And like, I was just tired of it. And I was like, you know what? I just, I want to go back to the fight. I uh, maybe I'll, I thought I was going to become an officer and go back into and go to Afghanistan because I was like, well, I already know what Iraq looks like. I want to go to Afghanistan. I'll become an officer and then that's the surest way to go. So I left the Navy um, and went to school and I had to take I had to take an elective and the creative writing class was my elective. It was the first class I took. At least that's how I remember it. Memory is tricky. But like I remember I got out on a Monday. I went to school on like a Wednesday or a Thursday. Uh, which I don't recommend doing, like transitioning from the military to school in two, two days, probably not my best move. Uh, I would counsel younger service members to not do that, maybe take some time off, decompress. Um, anyway, so I took this creative writing class, and uh, I I wrote, and it was weird. I, uh, I remember the kids not wearing pajamas, like the kids would wear pajamas to school, and I'd be like, dude, like, go take a shower, get dressed, like, showers are wonderful, like, why would you like, how do you not give yourself? I mean, now I, I, now I understand a little bit and I have a, try to have a little bit of grace, but I was, I was one of those vets, man, that got out and was like angry at everybody and everything. And, um, I, but I, so I took this creative writing class and I turned in some pieces and the instructor of the class was like, Hey, you, you, what are you going to do with your college career? I'm like, Oh man, like I'm actually a foreign languages and a history major. I want to go in and go be, back and be an officer. I, I just took this class because like, I thought it'd be cool. She's like, well, you actually kind of have a talent for this. You should like, you should major this and maybe consider being a writer. I was like, no, yeah, right, no way. Um, she's like, well, okay, like just maybe take one more creative writing class. And I was like, I don't even know how that works. And she's like, okay, so you can take fiction, you can take poetry, or you can take nonfiction, and you can decide. And, that, and so I, I went home and I talked to my wife about it. And um, right around this time, like I was really homesick and uh, I wanted to go back and I tried to go back into the reserve. I was within my year window of EASing and they're like, yeah, man, we don't need you. Like you're old and thanks for your service, but like go do something else. And I was like, okay, well I'll go to in the reserves then. And the reserves like, Hey man, like that's cool that you served your country and all, but like, we don't really need you. Like the war's winding down and you're going to be all right. It's 2011. So then I had also put in my, uh, I reached out to the Marine Oso, right? The officer selection officer and i was like hey I, i'm a prior service enlisted guy um I, i'm looking at coming back in he's like hey man like the war's over and we don't need you thanks for all that you did and have a good life and i was like well now what do i do well about that time i had taken a second creative writing class and i had chose nonfiction because if i was going to tell stories i wanted to tell the stories of the dudes i knew like joey biancamano and 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 all those dudes that like just like i didn't do anything cool like i just i did my job they're the dudes that like they put in work, right? Like I, I wanted people to know what they, that they were real people, like the things that they did. And so like, I was just like, all right, fine. So I wrote a piece called sleep or boxes, um, boxes, the first piece and it got published in this class. And so it got published at the same time, the Navy and the Marine Corps were like, go the fuck home. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll do this writing thing. And so like people liked it pretty well. Um, but I didn't want to be one of those writers that just wrote about the war because like, that's what vets do. I wanted to do something artful and I'd read plenty of war stories. Like, well, I'm just going to try to do something different. And so then I just stayed in it. And then when I graduated with my undergraduate degree in creative writing, so I was like, you should probably try to think about going to graduate school. So I did. Um, and uh, I got into graduate school. 
um, that's kind of a long story to like getting to graduate school. But then I got to graduate school and they let me be a creative writing TA. So I taught creative writing for three years. I'd gotten my certificate in publishing. So like I knew how to do design and, and what, how the publishing industry worked. And so I went to a men's magazine and was working for them kind of part-time for free just because I needed to keep my skills sharp. Um, and then, so I graduated with my, my MFA in creative writing. And so like, we all tell war stories, we're storytellers. And some of us are better at it than others, but like, and so I've just made it my purpose to tell the stories of the dudes that aren't nerds tell their stories. Not that I'm stealing their stories, but like, you know, I'll use Joey because he comes to mind. Like, Joey's a cop. I think I think he's still a cop somewhere in Philadelphia, maybe or in Pennsylvania. Like, he's not gonna tell anybody outside of us. Like, oh, you remember that time when we did this, or you remember that time we did that. But like, I don't know. I just feel like our our civilian citizenry is so connected, to, disconnected from what we do. I thought maybe like I could write those stories and people would see what it was really like for me. Like, I'm not going to be the guy that says, I'm not going to write the book that's like the defining global war on terror book. I don't like, you can always tell those dudes that are trying to write that book. I don't want to be that guy. I'm not that guy. Um, but the other thing too, is like, I started writing because then like, like I said, it was hard for me. Like I got out, um, I struggled a lot and I started writing those stories down because like, if and it goes back to this idea of service, right? Like, I'm, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. It's like, I'm one of the lost boys. Like, I'm no matter how old I am right now and where I am in my career, I'm still that 25-year-old dude sitting in the middle of Iraq in mops gear, doing his thing, watching his Marines do their thing. Um, and so, like, if I can write about my struggles and where I was at and if dudes would be like, oh, like, I'm not alone, well, I'm, I'm good with that. So that's how I got into creative writing and why I stuck with it. Like, writing's important. I think that... And, and I think there's some academic stuff too behind it. Like, right, like war fighters have always been storytellers going all the way back to ancient civilizations where we would go on the hunt or we would go to war with people across the valley so that we could take our their supplies and survive another winter or defend from people trying to take our supplies so that we could survive another winter. And if we went on a campaign, well, what would we do? Well, we'd come sit around the campfire and we'd tell the stories. And what would happen is, is the people who stayed home, because they were probably too old to go out back to war, and the folks that got to eat the animal that we killed or take some of those those um, supplies that, well, we conquered and stole and brought back, like, they weren't there, but we would tell our stories to them, and they'd be like, hey, man, thanks for what you did. And there would be healing, and there would be that unity between the defended and the defenders or the warriors and those who stayed home. And so that's, I think, why I think I... I continue to write and why I'm an advocate for veteran writers like that's that's how those um, bridges get um, crossed like there is a huge divide but I think the more of us that are out there like hey like yeah like every once in a while I'll start out of a dead sleep or I'll have a, a bad dream but like that's not what defines me the more stories we get out the more the citizen population is like oh like wait you're like a person just like me like that's that's cool right like and I think that's how will actually get a lot better that way it's it's difficult like there's times where people are like hey have you been working on this it's like i don't really want to write that stuff anymore because like it costs me like i'm i'm sitting in my backyard it's sunny there's birds chirping the the, the fast movers have stopped doing whatever it is they're doing um I, i'm having a, a guinness I'm sitting on a podcast life is good i don't always want to go back and dig up old shit it's like but sometimes i think you have to for other people because that's what I did, like, 
if uh, I could tell a story and somebody's like, hey, man, I know what it's like. Like, I wrote a piece, that piece called Hearsay that came out a couple months ago that the people at Prez, uh, Pause Press published for me. It was really cool. I, like, one of my guys from 2-4 killed himself. Um, he rented a car and uh, drove up to Yellowstone, I think the story is, and they found his body months later. Um, and so I started thinking about, like, well, well, I struggled with that. Like, I, right in 2011, I'd gotten out of school. I couldn't find a job. I was like, bill collectors were coming for me. I didn't know I was getting into graduate school. And the day I found out I was getting into graduate school, I was going to kill myself. Like I had my 45 in my mouth and I was like, man, CLP tastes like shit. And I took the gun out of my mouth for a second and the phone rang. And it was like my school being like, hey, we want, we really dig your writing and think you should come to study with us. And I was like, oh my God, like I almost ended my life. Like, but now I have something to live for. And like, I tell that story and not because I want people to be like, oh, you poor broken soldier. Look at what we did to you. And I don't want people to be like, oh, man, you're a gangster, dude. Like, that's so cool. Like, I don't know, like maybe somebody will read that and not kill themselves today. And they won't have to read about it on Facebook about like you, both of us. We all know how what it is. We all we all know what it's like. It's like um, when you have to rip that Band-Aid off, like you're doing good and you find out one of your buddies is dead. And it's like, well, let me let's kick me back like six steps. I don't. I don't know. That's that's a really long answer for that question. I don't. Sorry, I don't mean to ramble. <laughs> no, and I just want to jump in here because it, it's kind of weird. <clears throat> I didn't realize you were the same guy until like thirty minutes ago that I have been following, and I don't know if it's from OAF Nation or whatnot. Yeah. Your writings, maybe from them. I know I followed you for a while, but your hearsay piece, I had to go find you on Instagram. And make sure you were the same guy that wrote that because the way that you put things into words is like, I think for somebody, especially like me that, you know, we talk about remembering these fine details about situations and stuff. It's just, it hits home a little bit differently. And like you say, even reading some of that stuff is difficult, but I think it, it's what some people do need. They need to relive. Maybe they can't think of of memories in that way and you help yeah. do that for some people um but it, it's pretty cool and i do you know appreciate that I'm, I'm not somebody like i've told uh herrera before like i'm not the most articulate but i definitely appreciate somebody that can depict a, a memory even that that maybe i haven't lived but i can i can put myself there just based off of what they're saying so yeah man i appreciate that and like the thing is is like I don't know. Are you married or you have yeah. like, yeah. like, right? Like maybe one day, like somebody in your family is like, well, what was it like? And you can't put it into words, but it would be humbling to me. Like, and I'm not doing it for the likes. Right. But like, if you're like, Oh dude, you should totally read this piece. And it's not just my piece. There's tons of good writers out there. Um, sure. Right. I mean, Jose's got his book too. And it's like, you can't, I don't know how to put this into words, but like, if you go read my buddy's piece right there, or this piece right there, like that will help you get there. And like that, that will help all of us like and that, that's why i do what i do and why i yeah. stuck with it because yeah no so it is hard that, no it is hard and it's hard to like you say especially if it's some, you don't know you don't know how you're gonna come across to somebody when you try and just you know tell them so that is a good way it's it's a way to tell someone something without telling them something like all the memes yeah. you're seeing now you know tell me you're a marine without telling me you're a marine and then it's a bunch of gay dudes dancing in underwear, you know, and that's, <laughs> that's just what's on Instagram anymore. But yeah. It's, it's funny. So, but yeah, that's, uh, no, that's awesome, man. And I do think, you know, just like, uh, 
just like this and you know her reaching out to me to talk about stuff on here kind of started this whole thing where we're and and i think there's different avenues um that people can utilize or even just get to to enjoy that help them out um yeah you know it's not a somebody's got to keep telling the stories and, and keep talking about it. Cause when you, when you don't, you know, we obviously know what, what happens, yeah. you know, bodies get left in the dark and then they think nobody's there going through with them still. And, and that's just not, not true. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're dead, dead on. I couldn't say it better. Tyler. Yeah. So, so what do you, so what are you doing now? You're a, you're a professor at UNCW or. So I'm a lecturer um, at UNCW. Yeah, I'm also the assistant director of the Pub Lab. So like I, I help um, mentor six TAs who like mentoring is a loose word. Like these guys are great. Like they since I've been there, we've had like two and a half hurricanes, a pandemic, a winter storm. And like, you know, like we do we just do art stuff for like um, our literary magazine and for our literary publisher. I make sure like people still come to work and the, the deadlines get hit. These guys do like well, they just do a ton of work, and I just I got I get the, I get the pleasure of just going to work and like seeing the stuff that they create. Like we'll get um like we do Instagram posters. Um, you can follow us UNCW, uh, Pub Lab I think is what our Instagram is, and like the Department of Creative Writing, and and just like just we we design cool stuff, and I get to supervise them and make sure like and teach them some of the things I've learned along the way. Um, but they do all of the work. I'm just the one that's like, hey, did you remember to do this? And did you send me this email? I don't do like they do all the work. I just like deliver the work that they do and it, it's super cool um i get to teach publishing every once in a while i get to teach creative writing um i teach creative writing on the side like i've got a, a class that i designed for the university for me but the university let me teach called reading and writing the war and so instead of it being therapy it's like we look at other writers from other areas and how they've approached writing war um and then how we can as modern veterans and even i've had some old, older folks take it too like how can you tell your story in an artful way and like that's super cool um and i taught it during the summer and so like i've got a group of vets that like i kind of talk through once in a while and we laugh and joke and it's just a way to, for me to keep community in, in a cool way keep me connected as it were yeah no that's awesome like if you would have told me 18 years ago that i was going to be the assistant director of the pub lab and a lecturer in creative writing <laughs> at uncw dude as i'm sitting there like after just getting jabbed in the hip and like wearing my gas mask and my mop gear trying to like snuff down some MRE pound cake, I'd be like, yeah, right. Get the hell out of here. I'm not way. Like, let's just make it through the day. Right. Like. So whatever happened with your hip, you said you went on light duty and then did you. That really messed. That was, that was really bad. Dude. Like, so they ended up, I ended up going back to coming back home and they were like, all right, so limited duty it is. I'm like, no, no, I'm good. Look, I can, I, I can do it. And they're like, yeah, no. So like it's, they made, they, this is what we do wrong is they took my uniform from me like like it's weird to say that and maybe it's unhealthy but like when they made me take my camis off and put the navy utilities back on and go down to 32nd street like that messed with my head um and it's like when i had to leave my battalion uh any unit that i left like it was progressively getting me further away from what i mattered but anyway so like i got put on limited duty and so then i got sent to base like they sent me down to navy station 32nd street and I was a young third class and I had been raised by a bunch of Marine NCOs in the early 2000s, which meant I was a holy terror. Like I remember the um, first class is like, all right guys, so we're gonna go clean this, we're gonna go clean that. And I was like, uh, 
why don't you just give me this list and you in the first class and other first classes and second classes go do whatever it is you do and i'm a third class and me and these uh semen and and other third classes like we'll take care of this and they were like what i'm like dude you're an e5 and an e6 like you don't need to be slapping the broom like that's I, it was a total culture shock. I was totally messed up. They're like, hey, you need to go back to Camp Pendleton. You don't belong here. So, like, they sent me to base. I went to work at School of Infantry West, um, did that for a little bit. And then I got tired of all of my friends dying in Ramadi and Fallujah. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Like, that's when that happened. And I had to sit home and watch that. And that sucked. Like, I would be, I would come home to my wife every night and hug my son and play with my son. And she'd be like, aren't you glad you're home and safe with us? And I'm like, yeah, but really, I wasn't. My heart was over there. Um, like a kid that used to live across the street from me when I was a civilian, but we didn't know until after. Like I met this kid, Whiskey, Whiskowitch. Um, and there's a piece on my faculty page called a, a long and incomplete list of all the things you can't, don't talk about. Um, so like this kid, like I went to go to the barracks and like I had a house and these single Marines were sitting in the barracks. So me and my buddy Stover and his wife and my wife, we cooked like turkeys and pies and just went and like, all right, you guys are coming with us. And I ran, I ran into this kid, Wiskowitch, and uh, he's like, oh, I'm going home. I'm like, oh, he's like, home, like right here. He's like, no, I live in Victorville. I'm like, get out of here. That's like right next to the town that I, I'm like, I used to live in Victorville. He's like, oh, where'd you live? I'm like, oh, I lived on Seneca Road. He's like, I did too. Do you remember those? Um, I'm like, oh, yeah, I used to live in the Summer Beach apartment. He's like, dude, I lived right across the street from there. Didn't know that kid. Well, he got killed the next year. Um, and so I was on limited duty and I should have been on that deployment or on a deployment like that. And so like watching those dudes that I went to the Marine Corps ball with and, and had all kinds of crazy stories and went to Libo with, and then them like reading the casualty reports as they came in like that, that sucked. I mean, it wasn't as bad as getting shot at every day or getting blown up every day. Not, not even in the same ballpark, but like that, dude, that's, that's what happened to me. I had to sit here. I had to sit there on the sidelines and watch it. Um, and I kind of really never forgave myself for that. I could just, sucked because all my friends were putting and it's not even because i wanted to be a hero it's like well all my friends are going back to work why can't i go back to work here i am just sitting putting out punching cookies for people at the chapel and and doing all the thing when my buddies are doing their thing and i'm sitting here going to funerals that was not cool um but you know yeah there's something weird about that too i mean i don't that's how i felt when i got on 2011 and things started popping off in 2012, 2013, and just having the dudes like separate from Seaway just to go to these like smaller conflicts, like going to Yemen and shit like that. Yeah, I had to turn off the news, man, because it was just getting to the point. I, like in 2013, I tried to get back into the reserves, and I was close. The only thing that stopped was I had a tattoo, and it was yeah. it, it was like it wasn't within regs, and I was just like, "You got to be kidding me! I got three tours, like." I'm running 20 miles a day, like I'd be an asset to you, whatever. And just got to the point where I just couldn't. And it's like, I had to remember, like you did your part, man. Like you, it, everything happens at the right time, at the right place, at the right moment. It's like, you did your part. Yeah. Like, you did your I, part. That's, and I and think then, it's what, go ahead. Go ahead. Now you first. No, I was just going to make my point. Well, yeah, and like, and now I'm good with it. I mean, I still sound like a little sad. I'm not trying to be like that little sad guy. Oh, for me, right? I'm not one of those dudes. But like, like you do have to come to that realization. And I think it tears a lot of dudes up. But it's the same thing that those guys that didn't get into a fight feel. 
Like, it's the same thing. And that's like what I try to tell them. It's like, no, it's the same because we're taught, it goes like this idea of service. Like we're taught that like, like if the four of us ended up in a team together, I don't, I don't know Tyler from Adam until today, but like if we got put in a situation, well, we would do the thing we had to do. And that's the way it is. And like, that's how we're taught and we're trained. So then when you take that from us, we're like, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what to do. Like, what am, what am I supposed to do with myself? Like, I need that smart ass comment that someone's going to bring me back to earth. I remember one time my buddy, Sean, who is a granddad now, it's hilarious. Like both of his kids are Marines and uh, one of his Marines has been married for a year. And he, I just saw him holding his baby, Sean Inlow. He lives out in the Springs in Colorado. Right. And, um, I remember I was venting something about college students not knowing how to write something. And he's like, yeah, I guess look who, look who forgot where they came from. And I was like, damn, dude, I needed that. Like, thank you. Like, but like, it was like, it was one of those things. Like, that's what we miss. Like we, like it's the Aristotelian virtues. Like we see the other ourselves in the other. And like, that's, that's the thing that, that the hyper real can't capture. That's the thing that the movies try to capture, but don't, it isn't, it isn't the movie stuff or the bumper sticker stuff. It's like, like, I remember when uh, Gunny Dill lost his foot, um, I remember looking at Timmy Ash and talking to Timmy, and Timmy was like, man, he's like, isn't this fucked up that I would rather that it was me? And, like, it's the most normal thing in the world, in our world. Like, it's like, yeah, dude, I totally, I'm like, that's not messed up. That's, I I know, like, that was his platoon song. Like, he, he would have gladly traded his foot and his life so that his Gunny could have lived on with a whole foot and defeated like right like and the same with any of our dead and any of our wounded folks like oh man at that moment i would have traded traded that for you but like we didn't and that's the thing that that society hasn't figured out how to translate it's not we're not adrenaline junkies we're not we're not psychopaths who love all of the garbage we just i don't know i don't know where i'm going with that but yeah no, it's just, I think when you connect with it on, on that level, like I feel like a lot of us probably do, um, it just means that much more to you. Like you, you, you have that feeling just like I did. I got out in 2010, they went in uh, uh, back to Afghanistan in 2011 and I fucking sat here like you did and, you know, watched that shit unfold. And I think it's just because of you know how much that it meant to you, you know, what you were capable of and how, what you could, you could contribute if you were there, but you're not. And I don't think that ever leaves as long as that kind of shit keeps going on. But yeah, some guys, some guys might not feel that way. You know, they might be like, well, I'm fucking glad I'm out of that shit. Fuck that shit. But when it means that much to you, you know, it, it's harder. Yeah. So, but yeah. Well, shit, man. What are you guys doing the rest of the day? Four fifty-five. Well, we've been two hours on the head almost. Probably so. gonna make dinner. Well, I got dinner brewing. I got a uh, corned beef brisket good brewing. I'm gonna make some ribbon sandwiches. My, my, in fact, my wife just texted me. She's like, "Hey, are you guys almost done? Didn't we close <laughs> dinner time? <laughs> Hurry up and finish." Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, if you could tell everybody what what uh what are your plans next? I know you've been working on kind of like what an essay book then you got all your work yeah like i'm just i'd love to get that manuscript published um once i get it in a shape that i think the publishing industry can can handle and sell and and get it out there and just i don't know continuing doing the thing man like 
I don't have any big giant grand plans. I'm not going to change the world and be like this politician or whatever. I'm just going to go to work and I get to go to work with the folks that I get to work with and try to be the best leader that I can for them and, and try to stay connected to our community and hopefully help get involved with vets and vet programs. Uh, enjoy the life that a lot of folks have paid for. Right. Like, I mean, that's one of the big things for me. It's like, Somebody paid to, in a real way, like we understand those of us that have been to war, like somebody paid for us to be able to have a beautiful day like this today. And it's, and it's, it's weird too, right? Like, like my civilian folks that I know would be like, well, you paid for it too. I'm like, yeah, but not in quite the same way. Like I'm still here. Like I, I still have, whether it's the next 10 seconds or the next 10 years, like I, I have more than somebody else. So like maybe just to just keep doing the best that I can from my family and other folks and go from there, which sounds corny, I know, but I don't know. <laughs> oh, that don't sound corny, man. Sounds real. Sounds like you appreciate, you know, appreciate. And it's, and it's weird too, because, you know, not everybody, like you say, in, in what you've been through, and I don't know all the details have such a positive outlook on it like you do. And that's, you know, something that's important. It's important. It's important for all of us to try and figure that out you know, whatever that is. So, um, but don't, uh, don't not pay the tax, that mental tax on your writing because it, it does help people, you know, and, and I appreciate talking to you and uh, look forward to hearing, hearing or reading more of your, your stuff. All right, man. Cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks guys. Thank you. We'll see ya. Have a good right. day. You too.